Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. I'm your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, speaker, author, human design, and business coach, truth seeker, and wellness warrior. I'm so pleased that you're joining me today, or maybe you're listening to the replay. And it's amazing to be here with you. If you're new to the show, we are all about, uh, it's a motivation lifestyle show within the RCR community. We're focused on empowering people on holistic health, parenting, leadership, wellness, and all the things. And today, the things we're talking about are keeping kids safe, keeping kids safe. Fair to say it's a topic I'm very, very passionate about, very concerned about, in fact. And I use the the words keeping kids safe instead of one of my usual languaging, which is empowering kids. But I really feel that our role as parents is to be aware and at times to intervene, especially with all of the things that are being thrown at our kids these days. So we're going to dive into that. But before we do, I wanted to do a little thank you to everyone who's taken the time to write into us, either by text or by email. And I just wanted to share two little messages from our wider community with you. Thank you so much. We've got Mike who's written in to us. And Mike says, hi team, I just loved today's show. So that's last week's show with Natalie interviewing Irma Yeager. Uh, I just didn't get the website name properly. Can you guys please put the contact details again? I actually had quite a few people messaging me about that interview. We did the power of communication. Irma talked about NVC, which is nonviolent communication and compassionate communication. You can find her at wellcom.net.nz. Mike, to answer your question. Um, so it's well, like W-E-L-L-C-O-M-M dot net dot N-Z. We also emailed Mike back about a week ago, but I wanted to share that with the wider audience. Definitely check out that entire show. If you can, um, you can find it in the replays on realitycheck.radio slash replays. Thank you also to Nairi, who's written in. Um, when last week we were talking about I think it was with Penny, possibly, we were talking about how, isn't it interesting how sometimes in life, everything makes sense. You're like, oh, that makes sense. That's why I've gone through the trials and the tribulations that I have. Things are coming full circle. Now I see my purpose. And we kind of were discussing that. And that's what Nairi is referring to. She says, totally agree. Looking back, everything was for a reason. It becomes so obvious in time. And now is the time. So thank you, Nairi, for writing in and to everyone else who also writes into us. Most appreciated. So today we're talking about keeping kids safe. In fact, back in 2014, I co-authored a book with my good friend, Jackie Lockington. We had kids together at kindergarten. Now those kids are now 16. So when Jackie and I met, we collaborated, we wrote this book and it was published back in 2014. It's called, If Only They Told Me, All the Things You Wish You'd Been Told From Pregnancy to Starting School. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And in the cha- in that book, we had a chapter called Keeping Kids Safe. And we talked about accidents and when your child goes missing and you can't find them, but they're playing hide and seek and emergency kits and things like that. But things have really changed for both the kids, the teens, the parents, and the grandparents, of course, and everyone else, the teachers and, and everyone in between. Um, since those days back in 2014, there's a lot more things going on. There's a lot more things coming at us. So that's what this topic today is going to really dive into that. And in fact, I had so many topics and so many ideas that people were 
sharing with me when I announced I was doing this topic that we're actually going to make it a two-part show. We're actually going to continue this theme on to next week. And next week, we're going to get pretty nitty-gritty with one of my guests that I've got talking about some of the um, stuff they're actually teaching our kids in school. We're going to dive into that deeper. We're also going to touch on that today as well, though, so don't worry about that. We've got three amazing guests coming up today, and I'm going to tell you about them in a few minutes. But I just wanted to share a story with you. Yesterday, I was walking my dog by the water, which I love doing, happy place. And I saw these two moms coming towards me. They had little, they had their babies and strollers. And I it was like a flashback moment back to those days when I was pushing my, I had a double buggy with two dogs and two, two kids and all the things. And these two moms were walking towards me. They were chatting. And, you know, I saw this little baby's um, barefoot poking out. And I was like, part of me was like, oh, that's cute. And part of me was like, that baby's cold. Put a blanket on it. So I got a little judgy. But anyway, as I went past them, I turned to look at the baby because I love babies. And I'm not kidding you. This baby was, I'm going to say six months or maybe eight and holding a cell phone and like poking on the buttons. I don't know if it was on the setting of a calculator. It wasn't watching like a YouTube or anything, but it was like playing with the phone. And part of me, again, was like, wow, kind, kind of a little judgy, I guess, on the mom, but mainly concerned for kids that start holding phones and being around the electromagnetic frequencies and all that at the age of six or eight months onward, it kind of freaked me out. I mean, my kid, I'm sure when he was two, he was watching videos on, on the iPad and things. So I'm not really one to comment, but it did make me think, my goodness, we have really come a long way. But here's the thing. I kept walking. And then I saw this granddad with this most adorable baby in a front pack and the front pack and the baby was looking out to the world, you know, wind on his face, looking at nature. And the, and I walked past and the granddad pauses and he tilts his body so that the baby can see my dog. And he says, look, and he's showing the baby, the dog. And I was just in that moment. I'm like, wow, what a juxtaposition. What a totally different experience for that baby. They were probably the same age. One baby in the stroller, not look, you know, just, I guess, facing up at the mom, but holding a phone and the other baby looking out to the world and look, being shown the dog and, and being talked to. And I was like, mm, my goodness me. Um, interesting times. And I am concerned about society and I am concerned about children and babies. So here we go. Let's dive in. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking to Ellie Bambury on friendship dynamics and the power of listening, especially to our teens. We're going to be doing a little bit of a flashback to one of our previous shows. This is actually one where the awesome Rodney Hyde interviews Bob McCroskey on bullying and pink shirt day and how pink shirt day, which is actually today, which is why I chose this topic, um, has kind of been taken over a little bit by um, a little bit of the um, some of the rainbow messaging. And so he's going to I'm going to share a flashback later on in the show today about what I mean by that, uh, because that is a concern for me as well. And we're also going to be having Lionel Anderson coming in talking about good men and the power of mentoring. And then we're having Sheena coming in and Sheena's going to be talking about uh, Sheena Malley. She's been a teacher for 24 years and we're really diving into what exactly are they teaching our kids in school? What are they teaching? And then we're also going to be doing a flash forward, like a sneak peek where I'm talking to Elizabeth Munt um, about parental consent within schools abortion and gender transitioning that can happen without parental consent, you guys. 
in Kiwi schools. It's not just over in America. So that's what I'm going to be talking about next week, my nitty gritty interview. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a sneak peek today so you can get the gist of that. Uh, Because here we go. This is one of my concerns. You know, our kids, our kids and our teens and our babies have lived through one of the most traumatic times in history. You know, and I really believe it with the mandates and the lockdowns and all the crazy stuff and everything else outside that and also what's to come. But I do truly believe I am an optimist in a way. I'm a realist, but I'm also an optimist. I do truly believe that we can get through this and we can come out empowered when we work together. We will rise together. Like, I really, truly believe it. So even though we're going to talk about some some rough stuff today, I do have a positive attitude towards this. Now, this week, we've got to focus on the topic of keeping kids safe. It is fair to say that I'm pretty obsessed with this topic. I'm so thrilled to have my friend, Ellie Bambury. She's a speaker and authentic expression guide. Um, and she is here to chat with us about keeping kids, kids safe. Welcome, Ellie. Hey, Nat. So good to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, I'm excited to hear what you've been up to. I know you were a speaker at my Thriving Teens event. It must have been a couple of years ago now. Mm, 2020, that was, I think. It's back in the at end of the first batch of COVID, I think. Yeah, so last week I, um, was it last week? Yeah, last week I ran an event called Rediscover the Beauty of You. Um, and it was for mums and daughters and aunties and grandmothers and whoever really felt called to to join us. Um, and it was like, it was kind of like a woman's circle story sharing. Um, and I had uh, three beautiful friends there. Um, and they basically shared their journeys from a really raw place um, of um, their experiences with eating disorders. Um, so the whole thing was focused on helping whoever came to the event. We had a mixture of teenagers and parents and older adults as well, just to help them really connect with um, how they see themselves, how they feel about themselves, um, find ways to kind of overcome negative stories that they have and actually kind of normalise some of the struggles we face as females. Um, which is, you know, a lot around body image and looking good and feeling like we have to fit in and all those things. So, yeah, it was really powerful. Um, And we had kind of a bit of a, I'd say it's like a ritual thing at the beginning um, where I got everyone to kind of come into their bodies and really feel how they were feeling in that moment around their body and how they showed up in the world. And they got them all to write down something that was really heavy, like some sort of thought that they had um, and just keep it to themselves for the whole event. Um, and as this, the evening went by, I encouraged them to let that story kind of loosen and just lessen its grip on them. And at the end, um, each of them came up into the centre of the room um, and read it out loud, ripped it up, threw it in the bin and replaced it with like a, a positive affirmation and kind of had like a little rose quartz crystal to take home with them. And it was really beautiful, just a kind of community connection event. And yeah, it was so, so good. I love the sound of that. I saw Mm. some photos and I think it's so important for people to, you know, I'm really into connecting in real life and rather than just kids watching stuff on TikTok and getting inspired or motivated that way, it's like coming together in real life. And I love how you got them to think about how they felt in their body, not just how they look. Mm. Yeah. And I find that's been a big learning journey for me too, because we're we live in a man's world, really. You know, we're, we're very much in a, in a world where we have to think and do all the time and, feminine the feminine kind of natural way is to feel and I think we get scared of that sometimes because feeling can often lead us into wanting to maybe just wrap up in a blanket or do something that's completely unrelated to what would be considered typically productive so it was nice to just come into a space where no one had to do or be anything special they could come as they are we had one of the teenagers come in an udi you know there was no sense of like I have to dress up because I'm going to an event I have to look good they were just encouraged to be and feel 
which I think is missing in this world quite a lot. Hey, for those of you that haven't met Ellie before, she's uh, you might recognize her name. She's formerly known under the Big Sister Project. She's a professional speaker, like I said, an authentic expression guide. She facilitates safe spaces for women and girls at any age or stage to transform how they show up in every area of life and ultimately rise into the conscious creators that they came here to be by guiding them. And after years of diving into her own self-development and spiritual awakening journey, speaking on multiple national, international platforms, hosting events, working with youth and families from all walks of life, Ellie is excited about the journeys that she's getting to walk with her clients, and she loves seeing how they remember just how magical they are. She guides them inwards so they can truly hear themselves and harness the energy of the thoughts that they have and the words that they speak. That's so awesome, Ellie. It's been amazing to watch your journey. I know when I met you, I would consider you, I don't know if you're 10 or 15 years younger than me, um, <laughs> but I just you're just at this beautiful stage of being such a great inspiration and mentor to women and girls, like you and I are friends, but it's like you could be a great mentor for people like my daughter and her friends. And I think that's such a unique space to be in because the girls can relate to you, but you're not their mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a really cool place to be. And I found it's, it's kind of a running joke for me that I have so many friends that are way older than me um, and lots of friends that are way younger. And I've never really been one of those people that just sticks to my own age group. I've always resonated with all all ages and stages. And I think that's part of the beauty of what I do. It's like whoever really resonates with the message I'm trying to deliver, even stuff I've done for teenagers, parents have said, well, can you do it for us? So I'm thinking, you know, well, there's a need, there's a want, and it's all the same. They're just a younger version of of their parents really in, in some ways. So it's just reaching people where they're at. It is. Hey, in this, um, in this chat, I'd love to cover, you know, it, mm-hmm. around two, possibly two areas of concern that you have around um, keeping kids safe and maybe some practical tips that you can share with our audience. How can we empower our kids or teenagers um, to just be more, I guess the word safe is what comes to mind, but just more confident, um, more happier, whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, the, the, when you kind of shared that topic idea with me, lots and lots of things came up because safety, you know, if you say the word safety in general society, they often think of, you know, looking both ways when you cross the road and don't talk to strangers and all the, the classic behavioural things in society to make sure you don't die. But I think there's a whole other level to it that is actually creating a sense of inner safety and a feeling of connectedness to your soul and your body. Um, because often, again, it comes back to that feeling of of connection and um, being able to communicate with people. If you are, If you've grown up in a household where it was never safe to speak your opinion, you're going to grow up as a, a people pleaser, you know, most likely, and betraying yourself over and over again. If you grow up in a house where, and there's no there's no blame here, it's we do the best we can with what we know, but once we know more, we can do better, right? But if you grow up in a house where you're given complete free reign and you can speak your piece, but there's no boundaries, you know, you could go out into the world and have the opposite effect where people might back off from you because they they can't handle it. There's just, there's no sense of limits or you know, whatever that might be, there's all kinds of possibilities. So for me, the biggest thing I've noticed after working with teens and parents is most of the kids, including one I even worked with recently, like literally last week, is they feel like the the, the young people that I've worked with have said their parents just don't listen. And they feel like they don't have a space to just say what they need to say. And often I've even heard like girls as young as 13 now coming to me saying, I just want you to hear what I have to say. They don't even want any coaching. They don't want any advice. And they actually use the words, I just want you to hear me. 
And I'm like, okay, cool, go for it. And they just blurt out everything that's in their system. I don't say a word. I just hold that space. And they feel completely safe to do so because they know they've set the tone of what they need. They know I'm not going to go and judge them or tell them that they should do this differently. And they come to their own conclusions and they naturally know instinctively what needs to happen next because I've given them the space to realize it. And I think this kind of conditioning goes back to right to the age of two, you know, like two or three, when you tell a child to apologize for something that they didn't even know that was wrong because in their in their body, in their mind, that was the thing they needed to do in that moment. That was their way of expressing themselves. But to tell them to like to betray themselves and go and apologize to someone when they don't cognitively know what what the deal is it's setting up a tone of like oh I can't trust myself I don't know how to express myself I'm gonna get told off um and that's kind of a blanket generalization for most of society the most even I was brought up in some ways I think there's so many good foundational elements to that you know Mm. I wrote down inner safety and connectedness and if we can start from that point or maybe with some of the people that are you know older you know teens and tweens reestablish you know that that point then Mm. they can then they might be able to avoid certain situations or altercations or something because they listen to their they know how to listen to their body when it's telling them something's not safe absolutely yeah I think and again I've learned a lot about that for myself in recent years just through my own journey of of self-development and doing my own inner work actually understanding to listen to your nervous system and, and work through the discomforts because when we suddenly see a new way of being and experience a new way of being, it can be really scary. Like for someone who has always been silenced to then be told, oh, you actually have all the power and you have all the knowledge inside you and this is this is a way you could possibly play with using it. That's terrifying often because their whole body like shakes. I've had experiences with, with um, a 17-year-old that I worked with recently and she's got a lot going on with friends at school and feeling quite left out and and all the things that most 17 year olds experience at some point. And I actually just changed the tune and I got her to stand up in her lounge and I looked the other way and I said, I'm going to role play a conversation with you and banter with you a bit to get you to tune into the immediate responses that you would give. And she was the first, the first few minutes, she was just in, in hysterics. She couldn't connect with her body. She was nervous. She'd never said things like, actually, I don't agree with that. So I got her to say it, I'd say it and she'd repeat it. And she was like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, my body's like, you know, and she had a physical response to some things that were so basic, but she'd not used them before. And she said at the end, I didn't realize that I wanted to express that so much. And it was so powerful. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is just like, I, I fizz out on that sort of stuff, you know, like seeing girls and women finally realize that they can say what they need to say is just the most rewarding thing ever. I think that exercise, mm. I would love to see that taught in schools, you know? Yeah. I would totally go into school. So if anyone knows anyone that would love me to run that, I can totally do it. Yeah, I think that's amazing because you're right. Some people would not, you know, they've been told like, you know, don't question my authority or like mm. I know best or whatever. And they would have shut down any natural responses, you know, like wanting to speak everything I believe in, speaking your truth, questioning things. Mm. So I think that's such a valuable activity. I mean, hey, and maybe parents could try that with their kids. I don't know if the kids would be up for it, but it could kind of start off as like a fun bit of a game, but like getting them to actually physically say the words, it's like a little bit of training for their brain, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like it depends on your relationship, but if you wanted to play with that, it gives you both the opportunity 
It's like role play. You could say, right, we've got five minutes, no strings attached, no one's getting told off, but you get to be me and I get to be you. Mm -hmm. It's just a way of, especially with younger kids, it's like you actually see what they really want to tell you. Like I remember, you know, and then you can do your own reflection and feedback, be like, I didn't realize I was doing that. Is that something that we can talk about, you know, because it, again, it comes to safety. If they know that they're not going to get reprimanded or put in detention, <laughs> often there's there's room for them to tell you the truth, and and there is nothing else to do there once it's expressed. Then na- like solutions arise naturally. But like I remember, I used to teach drama to um, eight to eleven year olds, and I was doing a warm up activity with them one day, which was hugely revealing and slightly terrifying. I was getting them to walk around the room and pretend to be different animals or objects or people like a monkey or a tree or a banana. And then I said to them, be your parents on a Saturday morning. And I was like, oh, gosh, how, how's this going to go? And I kid you not, some of the boys were walking around throwing chairs and screaming and saying, shut up, and all this. And they didn't have any inhibition because they'd warmed into the activity. And that wasn't my intention to give them this huge therapy session. But it turned into this incredibly powerful moment where they actually got to realize, oh, this is this is the environment I live in, you know, and I was blown away and obviously followed up with them and did what needed to be done to kind of support them in that. But it was like, wow, just made me wonder how many other kids are walking around thinking all the thoughts, all the feelings of like there is no safety. Mm. That, I mean, that is it is terrifying, isn't it? Um, but that's a little window into the reality of what goes on in some homes. And, you know, we will be talking about that, I think, in some of my other interviews, um, mm. some domestic violence you know, statistics and things like mm. that. Um, but just coming back to your activity, that's such a cool thing to do. And I bet other parents out there are sitting like I am right now thinking, I wonder what my kids would do. I mean, I think one of them would get down on their hands and knees and be in the garden. That would be me <laughs> in my veggie garden. And um, I don't know what my husband would be doing, mowing the lawn or something. We're pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I just want to touch on that as well, just before we close on that activity. Um, I do want to say that there is no judgment from me, like for screaming, shouting and stuff. Like I'm a firm believer in we do the best we can from where we are and what we know. And sometimes pain is so strong that we can't, you know, that needs to come through. And sometimes there are other people on the receiving end and it's not to, it's not to justify it, but I'm, I'm fully 100% aware that um, everyone's at different places and sometimes things happen and life happens. And it's all about the choice to then repair and the choice to move through that. And sometimes the thing is with creating safety is that we often will hear things when we start to heal, we're going to hear things from people that we might not want to hear that, and that's often why we choose to avoid those conversations because we know we might have to face up to something. Um, but once you do and you, you you know, and this is what I help people with, and once you once you choose to move into the, the embodiment of the emotions and feeling them and releasing them and reconnecting, um, magic can really happen. Stuff can transform in before your eyes and I cannot put words around it. It's just like your life changes before your eyes when you really choose to step into it. I think also on that, I just want to highlight. So you said about like throwing chairs and things. Well, Mm. you know, also on the flip side, what it could look like is, you know, some parents might give their kids the silent treatment for like three days. Right. And that doesn't look like throwing chairs. It looks like nothing, but it's not nothing. Right. It's actually can be worse sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I've done a bit of quite a bit of work around that myself because it's sometimes easier, you know, and it's like we parents get taught sometimes with toddlers, I'll just ignore the tantrum and they'll get over it and eventually they'll cry themselves out and just leave them to it. But actually, no, like there's an internal story going on of, oh, my gosh, have I done something wrong? How do I win their love back? 
walking on eggshells, all the things, people-pleasing, self-betrayal, everything, all of it's so linked and it's a bit of a minefield. Um, but I think, yeah, like there's, there's many ways to explore it and it doesn't have to feel as scary as it is. So you mentioned about the girls, some of the girls that you work with wanting to just, just wanting you to listen, just, you're just listening, which is amazing. What else do you see coming up as a kind of a pattern or a common either frequently asked question or frequent concern that with the, and I think you mainly work, would it be right with teens and tweens, not so much younger, but in that age, okay. What are the main concerns of these young people? Friendship group stuff, mostly, Um, but not in the sense of like not fitting in. It's more a case of um, there's a theme between the ones I'm currently working with between the age of 12 and 17 that there's usually a leader of the group who is very influential and manipulative. Well, this is the terminology that you would typically use to help describe the behaviour, not the person. I always make sure I I make that clear. Um, Yeah, usually a friendship dynamic and them feeling left out, feeling like they just have to put up with what everyone else says and does, taking things personally, taking things to heart. Um, Yeah, but being left out and being kind of sideswiped a bit is probably a common theme I'd say it's quite it's quite hard to see sometimes with um with what actually girls girls can be terrible (laughs) the way they speak to each other the whole thing about feeling sideswiped it comes back to not feeling secure not feeling safe in the tribe you know that they might get ostracized and kicked out of the community as such Hmm. um and and it can be that can be really scary if they don't feel secure in their where they spend actually majority of their time and the hours if you do the math Mm. and we're we're like we're what's the word we're like tribal not tribal but we are naturally wired for connection right and sometimes if we don't have people that are safe or like comfortable or who would we would consciously choose we end up with a group by default often and if that means we get to stay with them we will kind of do what we have to do to survive in that environment even if it's to our detriment and I I talked about that at Thriving Teens and Tweens, I think, around friendships and how we get put in a school system where you you kind of have to make friends with someone and you've got like 15 years or whatever it is or 13 years worth of being placed in classrooms and you have to kind of choose and then become part of a hierarchy. And, yeah, it's it's it's. but then if you if you, you go into the real world and often we, I, I say to parents, like, don't freak out if your teenager doesn't know how to make friends as an adult because – we don't really get taught how to make friends in school. That's like the number one thing. It's like, just say sorry, just be nice, just include, blah, blah, blah. But we don't actually get taught how to accept and to see and to hear and to just be and allow rather than I'm better than you and I've got this thing and I've got that thing and who's who's got the top marks for this? We, we're set up into a culture of competition and who's getting recognised and and all those things. I mean, there are don't get me wrong, there's positive aspects to the education system and the way it operates with kids as loads of amazing work being done but in terms of building friendships and authentic connection I'm yet to yet to see somewhere that's just got a a really strong focus on that from age five to age 18. Yeah exactly and I know that when um when you were you know my daughter and I were working with you a little bit many years ago when she was changing schools you know not happy at at school in, in year nine and ten which are quite pivotal years um, and I remember you gave some really great guidance to her around friendships. It was like something like this. Don't expect your friend to be all the things. Like you might have one particular friend that you go to for really good, deep and meaningful conversations. You might have another friend that's like super fun 
and you always have a good time, but they're just never going to go to that depth of conversation. And that's okay. Can you, mm. can you talk to that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one thing I still stick to to this day. And I, it's my own advice. I take my own advice on that because I get caught up in it sometimes. I'm like, I love this person. I want them to be everything, but they can't. It's physically impossible. <laughs> um, and I actually get a reaction in my body when I start to sense that someone wants me to be all the things. I'm like, don't put that on me, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think the moment, and again, not to be mechanical, but the moment we start to kind of categorize people in our life a little bit and just be a little bit more bigger picture, but like little mini boxes of, of what we can go to, we can kind of start to like uh, then free up space in our head for what we actually need and what we want to create and what we desire. Because then instead of having a, a friendship group, which is how the girls often speak, you know, my friendship group, my friendship group, I'm like, yeah, but there were the people in the group, you know, like what's it made up of? Um, if you start to put them in their own little box, not to their face, you don't say you're my this person, I'll go to you for this. It's all in your own head. You can start to say, well, actually, I really feel like I need a really deep chat. I'm going to go to this person. I feel like I, I need someone to hold the fort for me and make an excuse for me while I go and spend some time by myself. I can go to this person. You know, like it's it's a, it's kind of strategic, a strategic way of of taking the pressure off of friendships and maximizing each relationship. I think so too. And I feel like that's, isn't that what we do as adults? I mean, I think mm. that just sounds familiar to me. It's like, if I wanted to like, just, you know, have such a fun time and go for a nice walk on the beach, like I would ring her, her, or her. Okay. If I wanted to really just talk about all the conspiracy theories or whatever, I'd ring her, you know? So yeah. it's like different people for different things. And I love that we're not expecting one person to be all the things. Cause that's a lot of pressure for someone. Absolutely. And then when they go or they leave, then you're, then, then what? Yeah. And that's like, it's got another name. It's sneaky. It's codependency, right? We start to need them to be things and need them to be there. And yeah, when they leave, because they will, and it doesn't mean they're leaving you, they're often, and it might not be they're physically leaving. It just means something will come into their life that will match what they're wanting next. But if we put all of our effort and time into someone, and I've done this many times in my life, which is why I'm so passionate about it now, yeah. is like needing a best friend, like needing them to be all the things is can be so consuming and we don't this kind of just leads me into another space as well it's like with the friendship thing and codependency you know that the, the world and tv and everything really glorifies and romanticizes romantic relationships and breakups but it doesn't really talk about friendship breakups it doesn't talk about how actually that can be even more traumatic yeah. than divorces because your friends are the people you go to when you have romantic breakups right so if they're broken up it's like, oh, my gosh, I have to put everything into if you've got one, a partner, to support me through the other stuff. And it, then it creates imbalance everywhere else. So, yeah, I think that's that's something that I'm really passionate about talking to girls about as well and helping them work through is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Such good advice. So to our beautiful audience listening, if this is resonating for you, and if you specifically have been through a friendship breakup maybe, um, you know, you can text in to any anything that's resonating for you, a bit of an aha moment or any guidance that you've got, uh, because there's so much wisdom out there as we are empowering our kids and keeping kids safe. You can text in to Reality Check Radio on 2057 or you can email inbox at realitycheck.radio. So, Ellie, I've got another question for you. Mm -hmm. I know that you help people express themselves in a way that is aligned, and I love that word, I use it myself, aligned, empowered, and influential. What do you mean by, what do you mean by that? 
Such a good question. And this is something that's only really kind of turned into a sentence for me um, very recently because I'm still playing with um, with with that myself. Um, but basically, self-expression has, it's a buzzword, you know, the word expression, expressive, like we hear it all the time all over the place. And for different people, it will mean different things. For some, it would mean just simply talking. Others think it means being on a stage and being in a in a show. Others might just think it's just saying your piece in a meeting. Like there's there's lots of different things it could be. But really what it boils down to is a, like communication, whether it's your body, whether it's your eyes, whether it's your words, whether it's written, spoken, anything. It's just an, a form of communication. My background is in, like I've got a huge background in writing, directing, performing arts, videography, film, TV, all that sort of stuff. And I have been ever since I could basically walk. I was directing little plays and stuff. I love helping people understand and like creating characters and understanding how they operate and how they how that kind of comes through how their how their life experience influences the way they show up and again that comes down to safety so in terms of your question around what does um, helping people with authentic expression mean there's a whole journey that kind of leads up to it but basically it's exploring your life journey exploring where you've come from what you've come through the lessons you've learned and not running away from them, even the painful ones that you think don't matter or you don't want to go there. Actually, the things we run away from are the things that will sabotage our efforts in other ways most of the time. So this is a very long-winded answer, but I'll get there. Um, It's basically helping people understand where they've come from, how they currently show up, how their story is affecting that on a a subconscious level, their beliefs and their their expectations of other people, Um, and choosing a new story for themselves. Because someone might, like I said at the beginning, someone might have gone through life, been shut down a lot, had a lot of people say that their opinion doesn't matter or shut up and go to your room or whatever it is. So when it comes to um, a work environment, guess what they're most likely going to do? They'll either go the opposite extreme and try and dominate or back right off and know that that's exactly what's going to happen in the workplace. But actually, if you come back to, which is another thing I kind of explore with people, is come back to the truth of who you are, which is a soul having a human experience and is actually here to just be with people and connect and heal each other and help each other thrive. And that's a very nutshell version. If you come back to that and come back to that playful, expansive, childlike curiosity, you'll find that often the way you want to communicate, whether it's at work or at home or with friends, it's often quite different to what you've been conditioned to do. It's often quite different to what other people expect of you. I've shown, I've personally shown up in environments before where people have always known me as the the one that does all the talking or will lead the way kind of thing. And they're not, not in a bad way. They've just known, oh, Ellie's the one, Ellie will do it, blah, blah, blah. And there's been times where I've turned up and I'm like, actually, I, this isn't resonating with me in that in that way anymore. And I've just shown up and been part of it and actually had people look at me waiting for me to talk waiting for me to do the doing you know and I'm like actually no that's not that's not what how I want to express myself here that's not what I'm feeling called to do and it's just tapping into your natural instincts again coming back to your inner safety what do I want to do here who am I doing it for what's my purpose I, I hope that, that answered it that was a very long answer but no it's great and it. just just today I had my wake up your woo event and when I did my section at the end I was talking about upping your brave and being the true version of yourself. And um, and I asked the people, I said, on a scale of one to five, how much are you showing the, your true, the true you to the world right now? One being not really, five being totally. 
And it was really, really fascinating. And then I got them to visualize, if you were to, to up your brave and, and to be the true you, like, how would you show up? How would you feel? Who would you talk to? Where would you be? All that. And I mean, these are questions, you know, it's good to ask as an adult because or else we just get stuck into the roles and the masks and the expectations that we've always had. It's like, how do you want to show up? And I think, you know, same thing for, for kids. It's like, they just because they've always been the good girl doesn't mean that's who they are. Um, mm. It's a role that they've come to play because it, it it's a survival strategy. So maybe, and all same thing. Oh, you're the rebel. You're the naughty kid, you know? So then they mm. will be. And that comes yeah. back to labeling. So it's like, I think sometimes it's, giving people like a refresh. So how do you want to show up? Um, yeah, they're big questions, but it's kind of, it's, it's good to pose these to your, to our kids, our students. Sometimes I think I'm a big fan of having adult conversations with kids and not just talking down to them. I'm also a big fan of acting like a kid sometimes as mm-hmm. an adult to show them that, we, you know, we're not just old and boring. Like we can, we can be kids again sometimes. Mm, I totally agree. I think play is a huge part of it as well. And that's been the one thing that I've noticed has been hugely healing in the work I've done in mostly in the retreat that I ran and the workshops, not so much one-to-one because that can sometimes be a bit more talk or energy or journaling and stuff. But in the bigger events and stuff, the play aspect and the silliness aspect often generates ridiculous amounts of creativity from people and so much inspiration just flows. And I'm, again, this might be a topic for another day, but it's about energy alignment. If, you, if you're feeling crappy and you're feeling like my body's just tired, but then you force yourself to go and sit at the laptop and do all the things, the energy behind it, people will feel that. Even if the words are all there, energetically, the world is going to respond to what you're giving out. So and that's been a big learning curve for me too because I used to be so masculine in my approach to life. It'd be like, I said I was going to do it, so I'm going to do it. And I'm blah, 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 blah. And kids get taught that in school still, you know. They get the, the amount of mental strain on kids for exams mm-hmm. and grades I can't that's again another topic it's just well, how, well I'm gonna go that still exist? How, can we, how can we support our teens that have these assignments and these expectations I mean you just made me think of it it's like no gotta get the work done well hey let's just play a fun game you know for five minutes shift their energy mm. uh, maybe and then it'll shift their results I don't know what are your tips for parents out there who want we want to support our teens um I've got one that takes things super seriously and one that's like really relaxed about the situation with exams. But how can we empower and support our teens with school stuff, like academic school stuff? You want my absolute truth? Yes. Okay. I believe, and again, this is because I believe exams are outdated and don't belong in society anymore in that sense. Apart from science and things where you're, and, and law where you might be in a position of like extreme keeping people alive, that's different. But in terms of general tests and stuff, and stuff I think there is, there is a place like they, they're just redundant in many ways. All they do is cause anxiety because I don't know about you, but I cannot remember a single thing I learned. Like I can remember the skills of writing an essay and what I learned from the argument development and all those things. But the book itself that I read and all the SWAT notes and the quotes from poems, no idea, right? So I think if you can take the focus, like you've already kind of said it, play, like give them space to play and judge their energy. If you see they're stressed and I can't understand this and can you help me, I can't do it and they're in the frustration zone, no matter what you do, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. Or if it does go in, it will stay there for the second that they need it and it's going to go again the best thing you can do is come to a place of ease and if that means literally taking their laptop off them and saying I'm not not let's let's come back to this later or you know what I'm going to go for a walk with you or let's go to the shop or you can watch Netflix for half an hour just take their brain off it 
and then give them a new focus because I think I think for many parents there is a legitimate fear because we do have to live in this world we do have to do the exams it's unfortunate but that's the case so you know you still want them to do well but I think if you put all your focus on you need these grades because that's how good you look not in those words but you know what I mean if you have the energy of you need to succeed and you need to be as good as your peers and you're going to be a failure if you don't if you have that energy behind it your kid is going to be putting their self-worth on their exams they're going to be putting all of their value on how well they do and instead come at it from an approach of I know that you're really clever I know that you got this I know that you know that I don't think that, that your grades are a reflection of who you are you know like positive affirmation towards them as a person will lift them up into a higher vibration anyway and then even and again, change up the study space. Some kids really thrive on having a desk and doing the things with, with all the notes, right? But others might actually not know that they could use. I used to use liquid chalk and write on my windows. Nice. You could go and get them a bean bag and sit outside and give them some some really nice snacks and put some background music that on. That would be me sitting outside in the sun, definitely. Yeah, like, but I think just change it up because the least like the the, the exam grade already has enough stress on it from the teachers they don't need any more added to it so even something as simple let's okay let's do 10 jumping jacks and that will shift the energy they're getting physically up they're doing 10 jumping jacks Mm. circulation motivation endorphins or whatever Mm. um so that you've given you've given us some good some good ideas there thank you ellie hey i'm going to take it to a few questions that i asked all my guests Number one is the up your grade question. Now, mm-hmm. this is um, what is one thing that you have done, achieved, or experienced in the last year where you've truly upped your brave? This was a hard one, and I was reflecting on it because there's been so many things in the past year that I've done that I thought were like absolutely terrifying. But I think, on a, I, th- I think I'm going to go with the personal one because I've spoken a lot about work today. I think the personal one was ma- navigating and supporting my family and myself through um the the loss of my uncle last year so it was about this time last year that I lost an uncle to suicide and that was one of the darkest times of all of our collective life like it was hard 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 um and took me to new emotional spaces where I've not met like I've never been there before um but I came through that and I'm still coming through it. I have moments. But the reason I'm sharing that as an up your brave experience was because it it was it was something that I almost ran away from. You know, I had the choice. Do I go to the funeral, don't I? Because it's across the world. Then when I get back, do I continue with a project that I was on the cusp of starting or not? Do I suddenly throw myself into suicide prevention or do I continue with this path? Like there were so many choices that came off the back of it. But I felt really proud of myself for not rushing and not not just trying to escape what had happened through doing you know I sat with my decisions I sat with everything I sat with my feelings I did did the processing um and came through it in in, again the most authentic way for myself well that's you know because you're so used to being the guide you know the one Mm -hmm. that helps others go through traumas and dramas and process their emotions or be the one that listens and Mm -hmm. so the tables were turned did you have a I would hope you have. Did you have other people supporting you through that as well? Yeah, and that's the thing. I was kind of, I wouldn't say forced, but I was forced to reach out because, you know, even though my family are are tight-knit and very good at supporting each other, um, I knew that I was going to need people to lean on myself. 
Um, Because we can do a lot. We are powerful. We do have what we need inside us to get through things if we choose to kind of allow it to be there. Um, But that doesn't mean we should be doing everything alone. And I think distinguishing that is one of the most powerful realizations I've had. Because, again, I used to be, I can do this. I can get myself through. Don't need anybody. Um, But actually, yeah, letting people in is an up your brave for me. It is. Yeah, that's Mm. right. It's so easy to be the Lone Ranger. (laughs) Last week, you guys, if you missed it, we did the power of communication. And I talked a little bit about how communication isn't just, you know, sharing, asking questions and sharing things. Sometimes it's asking for help. And so, Mm. yeah, that is upping your brave is asking for help. Thank you, Ellie. Um, The next one is the bucket list question. What is Mm -hmm. one thing on your bucket list that the Reality Check Radio community can possibly help you with? You know, I think I I had a few and I think you've kind of brought one to my attention that I didn't have, which is going into schools and teaching kids about this speaking thing of actually verbalizing what they want to say. Because I imagine it would be really powerful to have a whole hall full of teenagers who have never really spoken their truth or don't really know how to do that Um, and workshopping it. It's almost like a drama workshop. So if anyone has any um, people in schools that would love to have someone come in and actually really get to the crux of why bullying is happening and say as it is and help people help the young ones actually understand that most of the time you know it's not actually as complicated as as it sounds to to kind of move through being the bully or being bullied like it, it does come back down to trusting yourself and creating that inner safety yeah let me know. And doing like a dress rehearsal of saying the words that you want to say. Like mm. they teach them that when they're younger, you know, my body, my choice, and they teach them to say things like that. But as they get a bit older and they mm. have more dialogue, it's like they need to learn and, and practice saying. So I, I think that's so important. And I mean, this show is airing on, you know, Pink Shirt Day. And we want to come back to what Pink Shirt Day is actually about, which is um, making sure everyone is safe, not just certain mm. people. So I think these skills are really important. And I love that it's throwback for you, meaning sometimes what I've found is people are coming full circle, you coming back to the drama, you know, back to the where it not, you know, Mm -hmm. the dramatic arts, I mean, back to the performing arts and the drama skills and all those experiences you've had, bringing those back, bringing them into schools and fusing it together with the empowering teenagers and young people. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I love just on a side note, not that anyone can see me, but I'm wearing a pink shirt. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was going to be aired on pink shirt day. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, so next question with your work, you, you know, your business, your speaking, what is coming up for you and how can people reach out and connect with you online? So on the 1st of June, so in a couple of weeks time, um, I'm going to be running or co-running um, an event for business women or anyone in business or any female in business. And that doesn't necessarily mean the owner of a business. They could be part of a team or the creative, like the content creator, whatever. Just a woman who's in a business environment um, with a friend of mine, Jennifer Myers. Um, she's a, a leadership, a business leadership coach and a speaker as well and trains people in business. So we're kind of coming together and I'm bringing my artsy side and my kind of spiritual side with with all my stuff and she's going to be bringing her stuff and we're kind of joining forces to create a workshop where I will be doing similar things to what we've talked about today in terms of voicing and quirkiness and owning your your stuff and actually physically showing up in that environment so that women in business can show up even in the most masculine of environments and feeling safe in their bodies to communicate in that way so that's on the 1st of June from 11 a.m to 1 p.m in Graylin um, but I can always give there is a, a link I can share with you if you need for that and um, in August, 
August the 13th, which is a Sunday from 12 to 5.30 p.m. Myself and three other speakers are going to be running the third of my parenting series events called Evolve. Um, and it's, yeah, we've done it twice already as an evening event, but parents have said we want more and we always want more as well because we could just talk for hours and we've got so many things we want to add to that. So we're going to be doing like a, a half-day retreat um, for parents instead and it will be at the Life Centre in Ponsonby. Um, so those are coming up as immediate things off the top of my head. Um, but I also do one-to-one -one coaching with women and girls of any age and stage for whoever resonates with what I do. And so, yeah, in terms of finding me, my website is under construction because it, as I Nat said at the beginning, it was the big sister project. So it's now becoming my name, elliebanbury.com. Um, but I'll keep everyone informed as to when that is open. Um, but otherwise you can email me. Um, do you need my email address or can you put that in the... I'll just say it out loud. I'll say it out loud. Okay. Ellie Bambury. So that's E-L-L-I-E-B-A-M-B-U-R-Y dot S-D-A-E dot uh, at gmail.com. The S-D-A-E, some people ask me, what does that mean? And I, Ellie Bambury at gmail.com was gone. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just add a, a little bit extra to that. And the S is self. And then D is development. A is acceptance. E is expression. So that's kind of a summary um, of the work I do. Awesome. Okay. So yeah. we've got two events in Auckland. Mm -hmm. What do we have for people that don't live in Auckland? So meaning I know you do, you probably coach people online and you possibly have any courses. So are there things for people who don't live in Auckland? Yep. So for those who don't live in Auckland, I can do one-to-one -one coaching online. Um, and yeah, that's totally fine. Zoom, Zoom is all good for me. And I'm open if there is interest to doing like a live stream of those events if if there is interest to attend those and they I thought can't you were make saying open to traveling the country and doing a tour well I could do that too if there is interest as well yeah if there's interest and availability for people um, and venues yeah sure I'm open to that too awesome. um, yeah that's so good um okay and my final question you know before we wrap things up Ellie um, we've covered quite a few things today around keeping kids safe, specifically around the teens and tweens, young people. Is there anything else you want to add before we say farewell? Nothing's jumping at me, but I think I just encourage everybody to ask yourself, like, how can I, how can I be more easeful in the way I communicate with my kids? Like, how can I, how can I choose to be easy about everything we talk about? And even, even the big stuff, especially the big stuff, it could be related to grades, it could be related to friends. If you are remotely stressed or anxious yourself about something you need to talk about, avoid it. Don't go there because they're going to feel that and that's going to be the undercurrent. You set the tone as a parent for how the conversation is going to go and what they feel safe to express. So if you want to dis discuss something, take yourself away and actually take some deep breaths and say, "Am I? how am I feeling? How's my body? Take it out and get to a place where you can hold that space and listen. Amazing. Yeah. The listening is something that's really resonating. And I know we talked a lot about girls, but I'm sure for guys like boys. Mm, yeah. Huge. Yeah, same thing. It's like, don't, mm. we don't just have to dive in with all the solutions. It's like, just listen to them. Mm. They have their solutions in their heart already. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I find works well for my family is sometimes going and saying good night, but the lights are off. So it's not intimidating. It's not like, you know, I'm just like, hey, what's going on for you, dude? And it, but we're in the dark, so it's not, it doesn't feel confrontational. So that's quite good. And something that's I do cool. with my little guy, with my little guy who's 12, is we do what went well every night and, well, most nights. And I'll go in and I'll say, hey, dude, you know, three things. What went well today? And then he loves it when I share my mom, what went well for you? Three things. And I share what went well for me that day. 
Um, and I like to keep that going as they get older, they maybe not so into it, but now and then I'll, I'll bring it out and they, they can, they can humor me. That's so lovely. That's so connecting. I love it. Thank you so much, Ellie, for your um, wisdom today, keeping kids safe. It's a big job. Um, you're doing an amazing job and you guys definitely get in touch with Ellie. If you want a speaker for your event or you've got us, um, she can go into these schools and do these workshops. I feel like um, if we can empower our teens and our youth, then we're just raising amazing future adults. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Ellie. See ya. Bye. Such a great interview with Ellie Bambury. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. We talked about things like inner safety and connectedness and how some parents don't listen. Like we want to dive in and we want to give guide them and give them advice. But sometimes the best thing we can do is to not talk at all and just absorb and listen to what they're saying. So such a good reminder from Ellie, also about friendship dynamics and how we can support our kids through some turbulent times like that. Um, Ellie's got an event coming up, as she mentioned, on June the 1st, so you can look out for that. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. Natalie Cutler-Welsh here. Welcome back to another episode of the Up Your Brave show on Reality Check Radio. And today we're diving into the topic of keeping kids safe. And that means different things to different people. And today I'm excited to introduce a new friend of mine. His name is Lionel Anderson. Lionel is an artist, a cultural performer and musician, a dad of two, a traveler and an academic. Welcome to the show, Lionel. Hi. So good to have you here. Um, so Lionel and I met, interestingly, I love the way that Synergy and the universe works. We met um, at my networking club, which is called Empowered Connections. We meet at the beach. Uh, we actually met at the cafe because it was rainy. And you came as a guest uh, with a friend of mine. And I remember you sitting there and you had this, your arm was in a sling. I think you and I both have a, a frozen shoulder problem. Yeah. Um, but it was amazing to meet you. And before we dive in, I just love you to give the, our listeners a little bit of a, a backstory. So you're, you're a musician. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, I could. Uh, yep. Okay. I'm a musician. Like most musicians, though, probably uh, do more singing in the shower uh, or sitting with a guitar in the lounge or at the end of my bed, um, like most people, um, but dabbled with bands and home studios and, and all that jazz and a lot of jamming with friends and family. Nothing particularly serious, but um, I've been doing it since I was a teenager. So I'd like to call myself a musician, but, uh, well, people may say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you love music. I, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you onto this particular episode is when I met you, you know, one of the things you commented on was how the, the energy and the vibe and the comp, the level of conversation that we were having at this club. And you're like, this is what men are missing, you know, missing out on just getting together and not talking about, so how's work going, but like having deeper conversations and also talking about the mentoring of men or the mentoring of youth. And I know that you do that in a way through music and um, teaching, you know, some programs for kids. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Like, what is it that our youth need and what are two issues that you're concerned about? Well, we probably don't have enough men in that space is probably the biggest concern. Um, our schools are full of women, great, but not a lot of men. 
and probably we have more problems with our our young kids, our boys, and they probably really do need men. And that's not to dismiss uh, the mahi that's being done by our woman folk. But um, when you when you have boys, you need modelling. And by and large, the modelling needs to be done by men, good men, secure men, men who know what they're doing, men who have sorted themselves out. They're on a path, they're good, they're solid, all those things, they're pillars. Um, they were once boys, obviously, is the big advantage. And we need more men like that uh, so that our young men in particular, our young boys, teenagers, can look up to these men and think, okay, that's what a sorted man looks like. That's that's a that's a goal or a go-to or a an, you know an outcome. And we just don't have enough of that. There's just not enough of that happening for, for many reasons. I agree. I mean, we've got three children, and I think my daughter had one male teacher, but he left halfway through the year to go to a private school. And my son had one male teacher. Um and my other son, I don't think, has ever had a male teacher. So we I, we were so excited when they got male teachers. And they're hard to come by. You know, they're few and far between. I know the wages are pretty crappy. Um, and it would be a tricky environment, you know, being very much outnumbered. Um, what are some, I agree with you, I would love to see more male teachers and more of that influence. How do you think that would change things for the boys in the classes? Well, I think one of the most effective ways to influence uh, boys or certainly get them motivated is to actually show how things are done. I mean, you can tell them stuff, you can teach them stuff, but you actually got to do stuff. And for any parent who, who has had children, you've, you've actually got to do it with them. You can't just give them an exercise book and say, follow the instructions. You, you kind of have to do it and you, you have to be able to do it. I think most boys will be inspired by men who actually do the stuff that they're talking about, that they're trying to teach, rather than giving them instructions or giving them a book to read or something. If you do it with them, you just get much better outcomes. Um, to be a good man, you just need to see good men. I guess that's the, the basic tenet is if you want to be someone good, be around people who are good. And you will soon model your behavior after someone who, if if there's a man who stays calm or who looks at a situation and, and looks for, a, say, a peaceful solution or a resolution of sort, and you see that all the time, you're more likely to follow that type of behavior. Right? So you just need to see good men doing good deeds, I guess. Um so modeling for me is, I suppose, the best way, especially for kids who, who may already be averse to reading books or following certain processes that we have set up in our schools or just sick of school. Um, school is one thing, but watching good men do good things, do good things, that's, that's beyond, the, that's beyond the, the curriculum, I guess. Um, if you have strong male teachers who are, doing what they do, they love what they do, they love teaching, they love kids. Um, I think boys really respond well to that. Yeah. I think so too. And sometimes having a project, 
So if it's not a school situation, but I've got a friend of mine, I don't know if I told you about him and he really wanted to, he loves cars. Uh, he's in real estate, so he's not, a, he's nothing to do with cars, but he loves cars. And he was saying to me, you know what I'd really love to do? Cause I said, you know, if you were to courage, courageously create what you wanted, what would that be? He said, Nat, if what, what I really love to do is to mentor young, like youth through cars, <laughs> you know, teaching them about like, we buy a car, you know, we all pitch in or whatever, and we work on it and we tinker and we talk as we, you know, we're doing it. So the focus is on the car, but it's not about the car. And I remember saying to you, I think, you know, you could do something similar with music or, or art. The I think, do you do sculpting as well? And I do. And that's what I I did last year. Um, I did a whole lot of mentoring under the, under the guise of an art project. Yeah. Um, and when I helped tutor Kapahaka, it's the same thing. It's the performing arts. But underneath all of the, say, instructions and so forth is literally mentoring. You're, you're literally mentoring the, the kids. You're not actually teaching them anything. You're, you're trying to get them excited about something they want to be good at. And, it's, and it has to be something totally subjective, which is why maths would be particularly hard uh, if, you, if you wanted to be a good maths teacher and model behavior during a maths class would be almost impossible where in an art class, well, they could, you could pander to them regardless of what they were creating, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, and so forth. It doesn't really matter. You can still encourage them. You can still support them. You can tell them sweet nothings and everything's going to be all right, that sort of thing. You can't really do that with your, with your, conventional curriculum you have to use the arts um which is why i use music uh, the fine arts obviously sculpture if they can use their hands uh that's great if they can do something physical because that's just another way to use that other side of their brain the more lateral side of their brain so when they go to school i think they they need to be you know academic of the year and that's not true they do need to use their brain but they don't need to use it probably in the way they think they need to, which is why I use the arts primarily because through the arts, I can do all the mentoring. I can literally lavish it upon them and they're none the wiser. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So creativity, it sounds like for you, especially creativity is the key to the mentoring like by stealth. Yeah. Well, um, I did a, I did a guitar, I did some guitar lessons, and the good thing about the guitar at, at a certain age is that most of them are totally hopeless at it. Totally, you're starting at ground zero, and because they're all particularly bad at it, they don't have an issue with someone being particularly good at it, unlike maths or English or geography. They're all bad at it, which is um, the perfect premise for any team-building event, is that you get to do something with them that they have no clue. So it's a it's a whole bunch of giggles. And when you when they are they're okay in a classroom when they are all useless at it. And you can poke fun and get a bit of humor involved. But at least no one grandstands anyone else because they're all they all suck at it, right? And then they pull a few notes together and they think they're Eric Clapton. So they, you know, they can feel really good about themselves doing very little you know, doing very little, and I really like that. And you would find it hard 
following the conventional curriculum. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they get a small win. They get they, their confidence boosts, their enthusiasm. Exactly. I, I love that. And before you know it, they can form a band. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of team building. So back in the day, back in 2000 to 2003, my husband and I worked at Outward Bound, which is in Mulberry Sound. It's basically oh. the outdoors as a medium for personal development and personal discovery. One of the things I loved about that is we would usually, we would team up. There would be two of us as instructors for three weeks. We would have a group of 14 strangers come together mm. for three weeks and we, and they do kayaking and rock climbing and abseiling and whatever, um, solo, sa- you know, sailing a boat and all, and all the things. But one of the things I loved is, so the students got to see good men, right? Good men. Yeah. And here's the thing, not just being good at outdoorsy things, but good men having deep conversations. Because one of the skills the instructors have, because we're trained, is to debrief, you know, whatever happened. So, okay, we went kayaking and this happened and that happened. Well, how did you feel? And what, you know, what would you have changed? And what did you learn about yourself? And conversations that people don't normally have. They normally would go and do an activity and go, that was fun. Or that was really hard. And that's the end of it. But no, we kind of dive deep. You know, we peel back the onion, we sit around, mm. we have a conversation. But I think for especially the guys that come along to see these men get, you know, be able to have deep conversations and and get, you know, genuine and authentic about maybe the hardest thing for them wasn't the kayaking. It was asking for help to load the trailer because they didn't know how to tie the knot or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I personally, I wish that everyone in New Zealand could go and do an Outward Bound course at some point, partly for that reason, to get some yeah. of those. There are aspects of, um, I, I also know the Outward Bound experience. I, there are aspects of that I try to put in all my programs. Um, under that is some critical thinking, which I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's happened to the education system, but it seems to be rather devoid of critical thinking. And, and I don't think there's, I don't think they're ever too young, you know, depending on what the subject is, of course. But I like to throw, well, because it's my sense of humour, I like to throw them a, you know, a sideball every now and again just to see how they react because it's funny. And you're dealing with kids. And I I like to use humour. Again, I don't know what's happened to the classroom, but that seems to be rather missing (laughs) literally from every school in the country. Um, If anything, we should study humour, comedy. We just don't. It just seems to be like, no, there's no time to... Uh, joke around or laugh around or or anything like that. Um, so I use humour a lot because I mean I think it suggests you have some sort of affability, which is what you need, especially with kids who are particularly shy, withdrawn, or introverted, so forth. Um, you, you need to show them that you're not just a pillar and a decent bloke. You're human too. We have, we have problems. Um, in my art classes, I make stuff and I make mistakes. And I end up to them. So, oh, God, that's rubbish. Oh, that was never going to work. So you have to be also self-deprecating because then they don't feel they need to be tough all the time. They don't feel they need to be right all the time. They have to get everything right or they have to follow and they have to follow it exactly. It's just not life. So I make mistakes. I play the wrong chord or the wrong notes and they can have a bit of a giggle. I can have a giggle too. Um, I try to do the stuff, when I think of our curriculum, I try to do the stuff that's not in our curriculum. Humor, comedy, critical thinking, um, questions from out of nowhere that don't mean anything to anyone, and of course, topical stuff because they don't tend to talk about the topical stuff either. That seems to be 
just in the realm of adults. But I don't know why uh, younger children don't get involved. And certainly anything political is pretty much washed over as well. And I like to um, imbue my classes with that as well, because that's part of life, especially over the last three years. You, I would have thought there would have been a lot more critical thinking, even at even at that age. I'm not sure about critical thinking. Definitely indoctrination. I, I remember when the Ukraine war, quote unquote, started and um, the kids would come home and there was these badges, you know, they could wear these badges. And I'm like, where did you get that? That's some ribbon, some yellow and blue ribbon. I'm like, why are you wearing that? Mm. Um, and I said, you know, there's been strife in Ukraine well before the media told us about it. And yeah, so, um, yeah, it's interesting times. I'd love to ask the audience so who in your life has positively influenced you? And specifically, if there was a good man, role model, someone was who was a mentor for you growing up, we'd love to hear about it. You can send us a text, 2057, or if you prefer, email inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear, Lionel and I would love to hear, um, who has positively influenced you. And I love what you're pointing out, to Lionel, because... I was, of course, thinking school, 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 but I think this extracurricular piece that you that you and I are discussing is so crucial. It's a great opportunity for the kids to interact with more good men. Like our my youngest, he's twelve. He just started doing wushu kung fu, mm. and um, and it's amazing. And he, you know, he's been our one child that some of our kids they do all the things. Like Jonah will do anything that's going. He'll he's all in. Ruby, same thing. Very disciplined, triathlon, cheerleading very full on this guy nothing not in my, and my husband's like do you want to do soccer no do you want to ride bike no you need to do something you need to choose something you're going to miss out and i'm like babe he doesn't want to do it it's all good anyway at the age of 12 he's found something he's into he loves it and he's doing these putting his arms out and kicking these high kicks and then he's like oh i have to go and stretch i have to go and stretch and he's got these amazing instructors two males and one woman and it's discipline but it's fun it's this beautiful combination of being like serious and focused, but it's actually also fun. And he loves the fact that he can like use swords and do these cool th tricks. Mm. Um, so I, and that, Hey, that's two, two extra men in his life. Cause we don't have any of none of their uncles live in, in our same city. The grandparents don't live in the same city. We don't have that family male influence on a consistent basis. Mm. Other than that. So um, I guess my question to the audience is where can you, invite other good men into the your lives of your children to be like these pseudo uncles or positive role models or mentors you yeah, well you're talking about the idea of having a car we do that all the time i work on cars all the time yeah blokes talk bloke stuff and i i suppose things like cars i mean i could go to any school in the country and say right at lunchtime i'm going to be throwing an axe <laughs> at a piece of wood, and I'll get every boy in the school meeting me at lunchtime because they want to see me throw an X at a piece of wood. It sounds really basic, but it's not that hard actually to consider what do young boys, what are they interested in? Cars, anything rough, anything martial arts, anything that gets your hands dirty, tangible stuff. It's actually not that hard. The hard thing is actually getting the male staff. And then, of course, in a school setting, Everything's so PC now. It's it's you. You've got one hand tied behind your back. Yeah. The beauty of me going into a school is that actually I'm not a teacher per se. I'm not a qualified teacher. So I I work in the grey, which is kind of 
been my entire career. Actually, I can do more in that space uh, than probably what a qualified teacher can, not because of anything other than that's what you'd expect, right? So if a school brings you on, they expect you to do something that they can't do. So you kind of take the full liberty of that, I guess, and I certainly have because I – if I think to myself, if I can't change anything, why turn up? If I don't think I can do anything, I don't turn up. What's the point? Um, if I'm going to take the effort to go somewhere, go to a school, talk to kids, then I'm expecting change and not small changes. I, I need I need to feel like I've made a change. So, um, yeah, uh, bringing an axe to a school, uh, that, might, that might be an interesting next step. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's an idea. It's an idea. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, um, before we get to the four questions that I ask all my guests, I'd love to ask you, what else, is there one other issue that you are worried about or concerned about in terms of kids growing up these days, right? Like when you and I were growing up, it was like, yeah, there were drugs and drinking or, you know, opportunities to get in trouble. But today, there's like a lot more opportunities to, to fall off the path. So what are you concerned about? There's a whole lot of little things, but they are the same as the same issues we had when when we well certainly when I was younger. Um, I suppose the big difference is phones. So when I was at school, there were no phones. Actually, I, I'm so old. There was actually no internet. So um, my generation with children, we're really the first generation of parenting that is that has actually had to deal with our children having these devices and everything that comes with it, everything that comes with it. Um, Broad stroke, I would say that most parents are pretty lax because it's the first time. We can't model our parenting after our parents. They didn't have it either. So we're the very first. So I think that's a a biggie. So how we deal with that in terms of access or actually just having a device, I mean, most of them are, Five hundred to a thousand dollars. We just never had anything that expensive. Period. But the fact that you can access the kind of information they can access, we didn't. We couldn't access anything. So um, they can come up with answers for lots of things at, at the drop of a hat. We're not worried about that. Obviously, we're worried about the more salacious material that they have access to. So I think that's that's the biggest one. Schools they can do so much. Um, but parents, because we are really the first generation that's had to deal with this particular problem, I think we're pretty useless at it on the whole. Now, there's going to be a lot of listeners saying, well, I'm not, and that's fine. I'm just saying, from, from what I can tell, it's a bit of a nightmare because no one really knows what they're doing. There's no like generalized guideline that turns up on your TV screen and tells you to follow steps one to ten. There isn't. You kind of have to work it out yourself. And really, it comes down to how much you can tolerate as a parent. I mean, as a pacifying device, it's it's there's been nothing like it. It's amazing, um, which is why, I mean, in our generation, it was TV. So we were kicked out of the house constantly because we just wanted to sit down and watch TV. That was our pacifying device. Now it's the phone. But obviously, the phone has, has uh, access to a lot more than what we were ever privy to. So I think there probably needs to be some very honest discussions between 
the children of the house and and the parents in terms of expectations and seeing if they seeing if they can be met in a practical fashion. And if then of course you have the schools and they have their own policies. Um, it's interesting just on that note at school because I've got three kids at three different schools and it's interesting yeah. to see how they handle it. Um, what I really like is when the schools don't let them be on their phone at lunchtime because mm. the, a lot of the kids find when they're allowed to be on their phone at lunchtime, everyone's just head down on the phone and it's very awkward with socializing. And unless you're off in the field playing rugby, people are just sitting in circles on their phone. And so mm. I think if we can encourage the schools, you know, to, yep, they hand their phone in when they arrive and then they get it at the end of the day. But at lunchtime, they just, just let them be kids. Well, it has changed their behaviour. So, I mean, we could, at, at the very least, it's a device that they have access to the universe, literally. But it actually changes their behaviour because they now know that they can be critiqued for anything at any time, mm. which means they are now more likely to not do a lot more as opposed to my generation. Unless you saw it happen, it didn't happen, right? But when you're in a school setting, they can't play rugby, they can't play netball, they can't drop a pencil, they can't um, eat their lunch without potentially being either recorded or seen and commented on online. We just didn't have that kind of pressure or stress. And because of that, what you get is that you get children that are more withdrawn, they're, they're, more, uh, they're less likely to do things that are either spontaneous or fun or risky because they're thinking this could turn up online in any country in the world, especially if they get it wrong. So I find they don't take, they don't tend to take a lot of risks, which for me drives me crazy as a facilitator, because I want them to take risks. I want them to scream to the top of their lungs. I don't, I don't care what they look like. I just don't care, but I want them to know what that feels like, for example. And they've got this mentality that, the whole world is watching them. So they do become more withdrawn. And phones have been around for a while now. So you've kids that are at college now have had them their whole lives, effectively. They've had this phone culture their whole lives. So a 17, 18-year-old in their last year of college is 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 what paranoid, basically, because they know that everyone has a device and Anyone in the world, not just their friends, can comment on anything. So they get rather uptight about things that they probably don't need to. So it's not just the device and, and what they can have access to. It's actually how it's changing their behavior, which is something I try to um, crack, I guess. Yeah. I think there's such good points there because when I think of phones, I think of time, like the amount on the phone, the EMFs, which is electromagnetic frequencies. Mm as well as access to content that we probably don't want them to see. But on top of that, what you, the most important thing, well, all, they're all important, is that constant surveillance, right? Or constant like threat to their privacy. And yeah. that just is something that probably just eats away at them subconsciously. It's full on. And I guess we're not really, we won't know the ramifications. Um, but hey, if, we're list, if any listeners have any thoughts on that for themselves, what's working for you? In terms of your your kids, your teenagers, in terms of the phone use, let us know. Of course, there's some apps you can get so they can't get access to certain things, which I know they can get around. I've got a friend who was saying they get their Wi-Fi turns off at whatever, 10 o'clock at night, but then the kid just taps into the neighbor's Wi-Fi. Yeah. So 
Yeah. How do you manage it? We're, we're open to hearing your views. Um, hey, Lionel, before we go to the questions, anything else you want to add before I ask you about your Up Your Brave question? No, but to, to those parents that are, and I'm guessing a lot are, that are wondering how to do this, again, go to the same place the kids go to, Google. You'll have, you'll have all the answers you probably ever need in terms of how, how you manage that balance of your kids using them as a, as a pacifier, which is great because every adult needs a break. But then, it, like everything else, you need to exhibit some moderation or it just gets, it gets a bit out of hand. Um, I mean, let's not to mention the top end is that of people taking their lives because of the kind of pressure that they believe they're under because of uh, literally their profiles being littered online and, and, and the kind of critique and judgments that you can, you can receive. So um, it's, it's no joke. Um, but everyone has a, a different view, I suppose. And uh, yeah, power to you all. <laughs> I think if we can empower our youth to be present, to be confident, like self-confident, mm. I don't mean cocky, I mean self-confident. And, you know, resilient is an overused word, but um, to, to not judge themselves and not, it's so easy to worry about what other people think, but especially in this day and age of the, this, the phone, um, if we can give them that time when they're offline and we can role model it too, because obviously I'm, I'm online a lot, but I also love turning it off, you know, going into my garden or sitting in the sun. And so just making sure that we're, we're kind of, we're walking the talk. Great. Agreed. All right, let's go to the question. So number one, what is one, um, one time in the last year when you've truly upped your brave? Upped my brave. Well, uh, about halfway through the pandemic, I, I had a fairly cushy job. I was manner enhancing and I was feeling good about myself and I was waking up, seizing the day and all that. It was cut slightly short of a contract uh, where I was, I was training people. It was cut short because we couldn't have a class environment. Um, so it wasn't a mandate of sorts. We just couldn't have the kind of, we couldn't have a class environment. So that got shut down. And after a while, I, I kind of reveled back, I guess. And the, the being brave part was just not reacting to it. The whole world was going mad. Um, certainly, uh, the employment sector was, was you know, in jitters. And I decided to just wait it out, you know, kind of get through the shock. The whole world was going through the, what do I do now? Basically, self-induced midlife crisis. And I decided that, well, after, after I had juggled all my priorities and kind of took a breath, I decided that I'd go back to be what actually I am by nature, and that's an artist. Um, before that time... I, I kind of uh, looked at my academic side and, you know, I was doing what everyone else did, get educated, get a bit of job, get more educated, get a bit of job, get more educated and so on. And I, I guess after um, 2021, I thought, no, actually I'm going to really revert back to a much an earlier iteration of myself and go back to being an artist uh, go back to doing carving and painting and just stay there and see how that goes. But actually give myself give myself time to see if I can go back there because it's been about 15 years since I was actually doing that. And it was fun and good. And uh, I might have been a bit rusty. I don't know. But I wanted to give it a, 
ago because I just the times are just so uncertain. Mm. Um, and then I thought, well, hey, maybe this is uh, this was kind of my retirement plan. I'm getting on, but I'm not that getting on. And I thought maybe it's just come forward a few years. So maybe this is what's supposed to happen. So uh, getting brave is actually to issue a um, a normal nine to five job with a, a constant income and um, do something really silly, become an artist and <laughs> and and cross your fingers and hope for the best. Well, it looks like it's going well for you. You know, it is a time that a lot of people are, call it what you will, reinventing, reimagining, and for you even revisiting mm. something that they, a talent, you know, a skill, a career that they had in the past. And and for a lot of people, it is coming full circle. You know, for me, I started off doing, par- you know, as a parenting author and podcaster. And now that I coach people in human design, I've kind of come full circle. I'm helping moms again to understand their mm-hmm. children. And and it's it's interesting how sometimes a curveball, a massive curveball, like the yeah. COVID thing, can open up, you know, there's positive sides sometimes, can open up doorways back to the future as such. Um, okay, yeah. the next question is about the bucket list, which is what is one thing on your bucket list that the RCR community can possibly help you to do, be, or experience? Great question. Well, uh, so I started this a, a few months ago, but I've decided to just become an artist. Um, and I would like to do what I did about 15 years ago, which I, I had an exhibition at uh, at Loptal Gallery in Titarangi. So I suppose if there are any listeners who have either a a gallery or a cafe, a large space, something, some corporate environment with large walls or walls that uh, have a an audience of sorts, um, that would be great. Um, How large but, are we talking? Well, I mean, a cafe would be large, I guess, and then I could just throw something up. I mean, I, oh, I'm, I'm trying to use good language. I mean, galleries <laughs> galleries are all good and fine. They have their place. But there's actually, between the person working out of their garage or veranda like I am or somewhere else in a gallery, there's really no middle ground. You, it's a bit like being a musician in New Zealand. You either have got a contract with Sony or you're singing in the shower, into the shower head. Um, and then not a lot in between. And so I'm looking for that in between. So I don't need to go into a gallery because it requires a whole lot of other palaver. But if anyone's got a, a cafe or, or a nice place where people, you know, don't mind looking at the walls, that would be awesome. Uh, I have to let the art do the talking, but I need the space. So I don't know. You never know. Hey, well, that sounds amazing. And it leads very nicely into my next question, which is, well, how can people connect with you if they do want to see your art or maybe get it on their wall? Um, and what have you got coming up? Well, like quite a few people, I am absolutely useless when it comes to that um, uh, to that side. I think I, my daughter actually had to create my Instagram account, and that was about five, six years ago. And I... I and I get these alerts, and I don't know what to do them. Do with them. I'm I'm an old fuddy duddy and rather old fashioned, so I'm rather terrible um, at marketing myself. All right. Well, they can reach out to me because I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> That's brilliant. 
Um, I'm a tattooist as well, and I'm probably the worst tattooist in the world because I don't have a page. I don't have business cards. I I just when people come across my way, um, that's great. But I, other than that, I don't actually uh, actively promote myself. I, I kind of leave it to the to the universe. Um, and it's really bad as an artist to do that. I understand that. And maybe that's my absolutely hopeless point of difference, but I am rather pathetic when it comes to promoting myself, unfortunately. Well, maybe you come to my networking club. I can hook you up. But yeah. Um, yeah. in the meantime, if people want to see your work, I'm sure hopefully they do. You have, do you know the Instagram handle? No, of course okay. not. I just told you how useless I was. <laughs> All right, you guys, I'll see if I can put a post on my Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler Welsh uh, Facebook page and Up Your Brave on Instagram. I'll see if I can share a story or share a post from Lionel if I can find him. And that's hilarious. You're very elusive. But I, I agree. Sometimes the way that you and I met, I mean, we just met because a friend of mine brought you along as a free guest to come to my club. So I am, you know, synergy, the universe brings people together. It's all good. Um, yeah. Okay, before we wrap things up, anything else you want to comment on about our topic of keeping kids safe? Keeping kids safe. Yes, well, maybe here's a point. Um, I'm sure other parents have thought the same thing. Um, most parents come from a time where we were allowed to take more risks. There were also more threats. Uh, we were allowed to climb trees. You can go to school and not be allowed to climb a tree which means obviously we're allowed to fall out of a tree and, and deal with whatever follows after you fall out of a tree. Um, the schools aren't perfect. The education system isn't perfect. But as a parent, you have the full power to really turn things around. You don't need a good school. You don't even need a good teacher. But you need to be a good parent because that is the only thing you've got as a backstop. You. You're the only thing that can uh, really make the difference. And I think a lot of people pay probably a little bit too much attention to how good the school is, what suburb they live in, the, the decile rating, how many male teachers there are. Sure, there's no perfect education system. There's no perfect school. Uh, there's also no perfect parent, but really you're the difference. And uh, there's probably too many parents just dropping their kids off at school, expecting the, the school system to kind of fill in the void. And that's just unrealistic and anecdotally just look at the outcomes it doesn't work you, you have to get involved you have to be a lot more proactive and you have to fill in the gaps where the education system and there's no perfect education system in, in the world there's there isn't so you shouldn't think by dropping your kid off that you've done your bit because you just haven't you need to do so much more sounds a bit judgy but those are my those are my last words unfortunately no, it's all good. I mean, there's ample opportunity, right, for us yeah. to positively impact our kids. And I'm a big fan of um, treating, well, everybody, but our kids in particular, equal but not the same. Yeah. Meaning, you know, so they're equal, but they're not the same. So I'm going to parent one of my kids slightly different than the other in terms of the way that I motivate or incentivize or or it's how do I spend time with that kid? It's going to be slightly different. And I think um, for me, that that seems to work well. Something I'm always working on because I'm not amazing at it is being present. Uh, yeah. you know, so when I'm there, I'm there. I'm not like my head, you know, I'm on my phone or I'm thinking of something else. It's like when I'm there, I want to be there. And that's a constant, something that I'm constantly working on. Um, and really cherishing the moments because you remember when they were little and everyone would come up to you, like even 
older parents would come up to me when I had like these three kids under the age of five and they'd say, oh, enjoy it while it lasts. They grow up so fast. And you'd be like, I'm so exhausted. Like, oh my God. But they were right. Yep. Hey, they say the biggest form of child abuse is neglect. And when I first heard that a few years ago, I didn't understand it. I didn't. I thought, how can neglect be abuse? They haven't done anything. But it's because as kids, we were largely left to our own devices. I never thought of it in a in a in a in a negative way. We were riding horses, and we're off. You must remember, we didn't have phones, so we could have been anywhere. <laughs> Our parents also could have been anywhere. <laughs> um, but you know, when I heard that, I didn't understand it. But I get it now, and it most definitely is is the biggest form of abuse. So, um, to be present is obviously the best way to mitigate that that little thing, that little thing which is actually the biggest problem we have. So, um, no. Good on you. Yeah. Well, amazing to chat to you. Thank you for your for, for weighing in on this really important discussion. Um, amazing to have you here. Thanks so much, Lionel. Thank you. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. It was so awesome to talk to Lionel and um, get some of his insight and his wisdom around mentoring good men and also the impact of cell phones on the psyche. And I think I just, you know, can't imagine the kids growing up with the constantly the phone. In fact, I had a moment. Oh, it was yesterday. My guy, my little guy had broken his finger um, just playing netball at lunchtime at school. And we were going to Handworks to get it fixed, you know, to get the um, his brace checked and make sure everything was fine. And she was doing this activity with him and getting him to move his fingers. And I thought, oh, how cute that is. And I was going to ask her, can I take a photo? And then I thought, Nat. You don't have to document everything because these kids, because after talking to Lionel, I was hyper aware of how, even though sometimes we are, we parents are well-intentioned and we want to capture photos and videos of our kids because it's so cool to look back on. Sometimes it's like, just let them live their life. Like, does he really need a photo of him getting his hand brace checked? And I was like, Matt, check yourself. And I just sat there and absorbed it. And I was present and I was remembering how it was just a cute moment, a cute parenting moment. Um, it wasn't something I was going to go post on social, but the point is they don't always need the, the camera, the phone pointing in their face, do they? So good reminder. Thank you so much, Lionel. Um, I'm always learning on this show. Every person I talk to, I always learn something new and I hope you do as well. Please remember to message us in. Um, and we, just like I asked you before, you know, who has influenced you in your life and specifically what good man has influenced you? Because I know there's some amazing stories out there. We would love to hear from you. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and we're listening to Reality Check Radio. Today, we're talking about the topic of keeping kids safe. I'm very thrilled to be talking to Sheena Mali. She's a mom of four. She lost three jobs due to the mandates after 24 years in teaching um, and she's a she's on a sheep farm in the top of the South Island. Welcome to the show, Sheena. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a great honor. Big adventure. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just so excited to see where this interview goes. I really would love to dive in in a minute. I'd love to dive into basically what are they teaching our kids is my overarching question for you. Uh, but before we do that, how have the last three years been for you? Oh, a roller coaster like jumping out of a plane with with no idea of where we're heading. Uh, 
I, I did have three jobs. I was starting a business that I'd been working on um, that I lost under the health mandate, uh, working with a couple of big companies and contracting to them and the Ministry of Health. And then I uh, lost the teaching. I was doing relief teaching at the time. I lost that under the education mandate. And then I was working at the local pub and I lost that under the hospitality mandate. So there was no hiding. Um, I, I lost very public jobs. There was no hiding my stance on, on what went on. And that was a really big uh, change for me, being a people pleaser and a teacher and being seen to do the right thing. Um, and all of a sudden being ostracized. It was a massive journey. Well, I'm so thrilled that we're, we've been connected because, you know, sometimes it is divine timing. I put out that I was going to be doing this topic and I had a lot of people connecting with me. Our mutual friend, Nikki, um, connected you. And she, I, I remember you saying that you, you just felt like you wanted to serve, you wanted to share wisdom or you'd play your part. And suddenly this invitation to talk to me came in crazy <laughs> I was are. looking up at the heavens saying what can I do with this knowledge and experience and I have such a passion but I just don't know what to do with it and you know I just asked if there's something I'm meant to do make it happen and two days later here I am so thank you yeah amazing well, you've been through tri definite trials and tribulations with the mandates, and I know that everyone listening has been through their own version of, of that through, this, through these times. One of the things many of us are super concerned about is what is going on in the schools in terms of curriculum and in terms of the culture that's being created and the topics that are being discussed or not discussed. And having been a teacher for 24 years, and I know you're, I think you're from Australia, you've worked in Australia and New Zealand. And I know that you're currently still relief teaching. So you've got your finger on the pulse. I've got three kids at three different schools. I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse. What are they teaching our kids and what should we be concerned about and what can we do about it? Yeah, I, this issue is so big and so broad and, um, I'm a Kiwi actually, but I spent a long time in Australia, hence my slight twang. Mm -hmm. um, and then I taught um, overseas as well. And so having taught in lots of different contexts, you can see over the years how curriculums have changed and that they influence directly from the political agenda. Um, we used to joke in, um, in the staff room, oh, it's, you know, the election's coming up. I wonder what new logo we're going to get, what new buzzword we're going to get, what push is going to be within this within the classroom because it really is politically orientated. And I think the greatest concern that lots of us share as parents and as teachers and just people in society is what is the political agenda behind what is going on? And the greatest concern that I have is how insidious it is that it it seems to slide in and it's all under the guise of tolerance and um, inclusion and sustainability, which are all good concepts, which I would have fought for, but they come um, as a Trojan horse. And behind that, there is something really malicious behind it all. And I think that is the greatest concern um, that I have with the curriculum. On the surface, everything looks pretty wonderful. But what's going on in the classrooms is what we're seeing in the overall narrative of what we see on the news. They're saying one thing, but the actual ramifications mean something so different. 
And uh, yeah, that, that, you know, the little slogan, be kind, I, I wanted to get a slogan that said, actually be kind. Mm. And that's what's going on in the classroom, like actually care about sustainability, actually care about inclusion of all opinions. And that is my big concern with the curriculum is that on the, on the surface, things look pretty great. But the, the outsourcing to different organisations outside of the teacher and what they, their overall peripheral, their authority, is quite shocking. So once upon a time, just to uh, give you an example, to put a Band-Aid on a child in a classroom or to put sunscreen on a child in a classroom, you would check their files in case they had an allergy, mm. in case they reacted to a certain glue. It, it, it's become so that a teacher can't do anything without checking. However, the last three years, particularly the last year and a half, what we've seen is that a teacher has no ability to have any um, inquiry or concern and the blanket kind of overall authority, this dystopian nature that we see in society is magnified in the classroom. And that's, is that all ages? Because, I mean, for me, 12-year-old, 14 and 16, but I know they start really young with a lot of this. It is indoctrination. It is weaving in, as you say, kind of the political intentions, the political agenda. Is that like, I don't know what age groups you're you're focusing on at the moment, but what, like how early do they start doing some of this? So we, I've taught everything from kindergarten to university. So over the years, that's been, you know, I, I would say that I had a pretty good understanding of most levels of the curriculum. I did my master's in education in trying to teach the kids that no one wanted to teach. Mm. So um, everything from working in housing commissioning areas in broader Melbourne to Aboriginal communities in Arnhem Land. Now, what I saw in, for instance, the difference between the American system or systems abroad in the in the Middle East and the like, what I saw was that there was always a kind of a cohesive understanding of what the role of a teacher was, which was to encourage critical thinking, to encourage dialogue, um, whether that was from kindergarten to university, that would be encouraged. That is something that I have seen alter, that, you know, just even having a question is shut down, and that I see happening from a very young age. Now, I'm only teaching at the moment in primary school, so I can only speak of that at the moment, but I have children in high school um, and close family members who are in university. And it seems to be the overall conversation is if you have questions, you're put into this camp like we all have been, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're dangerous. Mm. And that is a really, a, that is a massive uh sway to the other side from what I've seen if that is if that's what you're looking for I'm not sure yeah. no that does it does it does help and that is I think partly what a lot of us are concerned about is that kids are being encouraged to just memorize things and to take things as they are you know whether it's history or social studies um, mm. and but what one of the things that resonates so much for me is when you talked about the Trojan horse you know, it's coming under the guise of sustainability. And I'm like you, I mean, I've got a master's of environmental education. I'm eco-friendly since for the past 25 years, mm. but 
I have questions. I don't want, I'm not like fully on board with the climate change um, propaganda. So it's like, I'm concerned about what my children are learning and being told and not encouraged to question. And I imagine if they did question, they would get, you know, socially shunned in a way by the teacher as well as probably by the other students. But definitely. And that is something that has been highly concerning for me. I have known of children, local kids who have been made to sit at the back of the classroom who weren't allowed to bring their books to the front of the classroom because a teacher wouldn't mark them because they were from a family of conspiracy theorists. That type of um, behaviour from a teacher is unheard of. It's appalling. You'd be dismissed on the spot for that type of behaviour. And, um, you know, as a teacher the waking up has been very painful. You know, I think the waking up for lots of us has been an unpeeling of what we understand to be the whole structures of society. Can we trust the health system? Can we trust the education system? Can we trust trust the political system? And the answer for many of us is no. And that is heartbreaking, um, particularly for someone like me. I was the big believer of the system. Not only was I part of it, I ingrained it. And so there's a lot of guilt that I feel personally, a lot of weight um, in what I've done because I have ingrained this in the next generation and then some. And so I feel an obligation to, to speak out and to say, hang on a second, all these things that we took for granted, did we question them? Were we allowed to question them? Because I certainly didn't. I absorbed them and regurgitated them. And and I see that in, you know, being a teacher, I've done lots of mentoring of graduate teachers and the decline of what I see in graduate teachers across the board is really concerning. Um, And that's not to say they're not working hard and they're not brilliant young people. They are. But what I see coming through in the university systems is so concerning and the focus is all on these big political ideas behind education, not necessarily the nuts and bolts of how to do stuff in the classroom. So an example of that is I had a graduate teacher who was a third-year student who was in my classroom and she misspelled a word on the board. Now, this was a year seven, eight class. That happens. But the word was learn. And when I said to her, this word is misspelled, it's on the board, she said, oh, it doesn't really matter. They'll pick it up. And this understanding that things, you know, predictive texting and, you know, automated spell checks, that that's all that matters and that we're putting our continual trust into a digital agenda and not in um, absorbing knowledge ourselves and using that knowledge that we know to be true and not questioning And I was actually quite shocked. And I said, that's the job. Our job is to actually know this stuff and to be able to instruct and teach and inspire. And she was almost indignant with me. And I was was quite, yeah, I was befuddled. That's the word. I was like, wow, this is our job. And I think the nature of teaching has changed so much in the fact that I am really concerned at the lack of critical thinking amongst teachers that teachers themselves are so battle-weary and what they are dealing with is so extraordinary that it's too much to actually have to question what they're teaching on top of everything else. 
And um, yeah, I'm really feeling for, for my fellow teachers. Many of my friends who um, decided to stay when the mandates came in place, many of them are leaving the profession now because it is too much. Many of them are very sick and it's heartbreaking. And, and the oh, just the overall grief of the teaching body is, is palatable when you go into the average staff room now. It feels like it's very comparable to the health system, which I'm not going to go into, but, you know, overworked, understaffed, a lot of people pressured to get the jab against their wishes to keep their job. Some of them not doing well, you know, immunity wise, health wise, therefore yeah. it exacerbates the problem of overworked and understaffed. And it's the same situation in the schools. I mean, today, perfect example. One of my kids is rostered on to be off school because the teacher's there's not enough teachers. And so like yeah. n- now it's not, it's not a teacher. It's not a teacher only day. It's something about the number. I'm not sure. So it, I heard a stat around the number of 3000 or so teachers left New Zealand teaching as a result of the mandates, whether that be they weren't into the jab or they're actually got vaccine injured and couldn't return to work. I'm not sure they're on the breakdown, but we have a serious problem on our hands in terms of keeping kids safe in terms of numbers but also the culture, like you discussed, not only can the kids not question things, the teachers can't even question things amongst themselves. No, they can't. And the the fear of losing your job, I would say, is now secondary to getting sick and being able to cope in that job. And that's been a big shift. Uh, yeah, there was a lot, there were a lot of people that I personally found um, were very upset and confused by my decision because you're a good person or, you know, you're not meant to be selfish. You're meant to follow the system. This is what you ingrained, you know, do as we say. Yeah. Um, and now that there are lots of teachers who are waking up, the the waking up is very dramatic, I would say. And everything from, you know, I've caught, I've taught climate change for years, but to suddenly come to a place where you question that, and you question so much, you question geography, um, history, everything, history, you know. And as a as a teacher now, I go in and it, there is an internal conflict that I'm facing because I'm teaching the food pyramid, which I now question. I then mm-hmm. oh, now we're teaching climate change, um, you know, and here's the HPV shots for the next, you know, jibby jab. And there's just one hit after another that as a person who now questions, I look at and I struggle with. And I'm really feeling for the teachers who are awake and the teachers who are waking up, I would say the majority are still fast asleep. It's just the the frog is boiling, but they just do not want to wake up, the vast majority. I would say. I I agree. And I want to say a little shout out to our listeners, specifically those listeners that are newly awakened. And some people are offended by that term. I mean, my husband was super offended when I started printing hats that said, wake up and selling them. I've got one. (laughs) (laughs) One of my happy customers. But I think even people listening now, when hearing you talk about, now you question the government, you know, the health system, the school system. It's like, wait a minute, they're all interrelated. Yeah, yeah, it's not a conspiracy theory. They are all interrelated. They are mm-hmm. all singing from the same songbook, and it's it's not a good tune. Yeah, and 
I think too, when you realize that you have been instrumental in the dissemination of that, it it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, And it makes it very confusing. And I think our kids as a collective are going through that and the grief that they're now experiencing uh, in the classroom, in society as a whole, particularly I call them free kids. And when I say free kids, kids um, who predominantly come from unvaccinated families. I I kind of push against that word unvaccinated because it feels like somehow it implies that we're lacking and we're not, we're whole and informed. And so, you know, I'm, I'm free and my kids, they're free. And so I, you know, the free kids in the classroom, I see that they have gone through what I would you know, I, I would compare to my experience of working in refugee schools with Sudanese and Syrian kids who had just come up from war torn zones. I see the same characteristics of collective trauma in our kids, and everything from anxiety to shallow breathing, um, and overreaction to a situation that's disproportionate in the classroom. This is really occurring. Um, the need to escape. So this is can be contributed also to lockdown, but this need to escape into a digital world, the only world that you can kind of feel a sense of security within. I really see that in the classroom. Um, and partly that is there's a massive push within the classrooms to continually provide digital education. So it's 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 seen as archaic if you walk into a classroom and they're all working in books from a board and it's, you know, the whole class is doing one thing. Where are the group rotations? Your advisor will say, you know, your supervisor. Um, what digital platforms are you using? And so basic basic skills are being lost and there is a deep frustration in teachers who have been teaching a long time because we can see that kids cannot do what they could do five years ago or 10 years ago and heaven help us, 20 years ago. What kids were able to do and the standard of work that they were able to achieve and we expected from them is incomparable to now. And you just have to walk into the average classroom and say, do you have a set of class dictionaries? And half the schools I go into, they look at you like you've got three heads because it's all online. You know, the kids in year seven and eight who cannot read a manual map, and I have to call it a manual map because that's what it is. They don't know how to look something up unless it's in Google directions. Everything from from those basic, basic skills of using a compass, there's there's an understanding that we're teaching that in schools and so that the kids know this stuff. We don't generally have time and half the time we don't have access to those what they consider outdated resources. And so when everything is online and there's this complete dependence on what is being fed to us through um, government sites, through what we are, you know, websites that we're allowed to look at, um, then it's all filtered. Yeah, and by the way, listeners, cut. by the way, yeah. listeners, in case you don't know, Google is censored. You know, you can go to other platforms like DuckDuckGo and mm. you'll find things that you won't find in Google. So a lot of people don't realize that. 
I think you're right. You know, there is that massive online dependence. And in one of my other interviews, of course, we talk about, you know, digital time and the digital lifestyle Mm. and documentation of everything they do, which is a whole nother side of Mm. keeping kids safe. Um, Before we move to my four questions that I ask everybody, is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything else you've seen or that you're concerned about, either for the teachers or under this banner topic of keeping kids safe? So one of my big personal passions is that every class that I teach, I teach different um, kind of living skills, help skills, and one of them is how we push trauma through our bodies. So trauma sits inside us and it can manifest as a headache or asthma. It can manifest as stomach aches that if left unchecked, can perpetually become into something great, you know, far greater, whether it, you know, a migraine or an ulcer that then can go on to be something else. So one of my personal passions is to how to teach uh, different skills so that we can move that trauma through our body. It's free. It's easy. You can teach it to a three-year-old or a 93-year-old. I was teaching it um, with stroke victims. Uh, You can teach it to anyone. And I am really passionate about passing on this information. It's it's pretty much why I wanted to agree to speak today because I just think it's so powerful and I would love every teacher to be teaching it, every parent to be using it. So the basic uh, strategy is that there's, there's three kind of basic exercises. The science behind it is incredibly complex, but the actual uh, actions are so simple that most people uh, would dismiss them as being totally irrelevant and and would make no difference at all. And did you want me to go through them? Well, g- give us at least one. I love giving people yeah. practical So one of the tips. simple yeah. ones, they're so simple. So you take your hands t- palm to palm and just rub your fingers one up over on top of the other from palm to palm, rolling the middle finger just up and down your palm, very okay, slowly. Okay, so your hands are going side to side, almost like a metronome. Is that the thing that helps time piano? Okay, right? Exactly, yes. So <laughs> it's just slowly rubbing your fingers up and down. Now, this releases different chemical messages within your brain that tells your brain to calm down and helps you to process. It helps you to process that trauma. This technique uh, was developed by a Dr. Rudin in America. Um, and basically it was used for people with PTSD, people with um, deep ingrained traumas. And what I find is that in the classroom, allowing kids to do this while you're talking, even while they're thinking of something that's upsetting them, they're doing this for themselves and it just brings that calm over them. So the science behind it, it will show you that it will increase serotonin, it will decrease cortisol. There's all types of um, different implications for oxytocin. So all of those good chemicals are in there, but it's so simple. Um, And the other one is it's called, you know, it's the hugging one. So you're putting your hands on your opposite shoulders at the front, like crossing over and rubbing your hands down to your elbows and back up to your shoulder blades, almost like you're giving yourself a hug. And this releases chemicals within your body that gives you that oxytocin that tells your body calm, you're safe, you're connected. It's a really good one if you're feeling lonely. Uh, it's it was a really powerful one during COVID 
So when the kids were in the classroom and they weren't able to sit next to each other um, and all the isolation that came from wearing masks, this was a really great one to use. The last one, the third activity, uh, is just taking your fingertips to your top of your hairline at the front of your face and just over your forehead, drawing your fingers down to your jawline and just slowly doing that and breathing at the same time. Now, all of these techniques are called havening techniques, havening like a haven. And they're all able, you're able to do them. They You only need to do them a couple of times. The hand gesture is really, you know, publicly um, applicable. You can use that anywhere. You could be at a cafe. You could be in a classroom. That's fine. The hugging one is a little less, um, well, a little more obvious. You may not want to do that or the face one, but you'll find that your body will will relax. And I would challenge anyone to do that when you're in a moment of stress. Um, The kids in the classroom, you know, I've been talking a lot to kids who are highly traumatised, I would say, and just encouraging them. You know, when you go to the bathroom, you can give yourself the hug one and just calm down and breathe. Do that about 20 times and just focus on how does your body feel? And I find that that is a really effective way. I am really passionate about spreading that on. And the fact that anyone can do it, it's great as a parent. You have a child who's crying about what's going on, stressed about what's going on, rubbing their hands down in that calming motion, which we do naturally anyway, um, is a really good way of them to be able to be calm while they're talking about it and processing that grief and that trauma. I'm so happy that you shared those because I feel like the descriptions were enough for people to picture it, hopefully in their minds and Mm. be able to use it. We did an episode um, called navigating grief and loss, and Mm. we had an activity about breathing and people really love that. They love the practical stuff. So thank you for bringing that in today. Um, You guys definitely message in, let us know how that resonates. And if you actually end up using it for yourself or your child, definitely let us know. You can text us 2057 or send an email in inbox at realitycheck.radio. Hey, I'm going to go to the four questions. Sheena, I'm so happy to have you here today sharing your wisdom. Can you share with us a little example from yourself? What is one thing you've done in the past year? I mean, there's a few things we know that are obvious. Where you truly (laughs) upped your brave? I've been thinking a lot about this. And, you know, I'm sure like we all have those stories about being kicked out of takeaway places with our 11-year-old trying to buy ice cream or, you know, having to speak up against someone that we really admire um, when they're speaking to us terribly. All of those things happened and um, I experienced, you know, a lot of discrimination. The thing that I actually think about that was the bravest thing to me was I was sitting outside of the pub, which is more like a community centre in my tiny wee village, and I was thinking about how I was going to face and go back inside. So I'd lost my job with the mandates. It had been a harrowing time, I would say. Um, And because it's a community centre place, it was just so hard to go and to face it. And I remember sitting outside in the car park and breathing and doing those havening exercises and deciding that I was going to walk back in. And I would say that the hardest, bravest thing that I've done in the last three years is actually to forgive, to forgive people because they don't know, they don't understand. P- forgive them because they genuinely, many of them thought that they were doing the right thing. 
despite what we could see was going on. And I think forgiving is a is a amazingly brave thing to do. So that's my brave up. <laughs> that is amazing. And lots of people have um, been doing the same. And it's yeah. not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, my, my next question is the bucket list question. Is there anything specific that you want to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that possibly the Up Your Brave RCR community can help with? I would love to be able to use my teaching expertise. I, I no longer have a business um, and that's a hurdle that I, emotionally I'm going to get over. That's my next thing. Um, but if there was anyone who needed someone, a teacher, um, with vast experience, particularly in dealing with kids outside of the box. If they needed someone um, as an education consultant, I'd really like to help I can and with what I can. So if anyone who's listening um, would like that, that would be great and uh, I would look forward to that. That's amazing. And there are lots of kids that do need extra support for whatever reasons, traumas, dramas, there are certain conditions that they might have. Um, and we do want to keep, we want to keep kids safe. And so it's just people like you that have the expertise. I mean, I'm not an expert in parenting or teaching um, at all, but I just want to bring people like you here that can answer the questions for us. Um, what have you got? So you said you're not in business. What is coming up for you and how can people contact you or reach out if they do want to connect? Um, I, I will give you my email link. Uh, I don't have anything. I'm not selling anything. I don't have any business per se. So I'm just a, a person out there who wants to help. And yeah. so I'll give an email attachment and Instagram is fine. And yeah, I just I just want to be useful and trust the big picture. And I think for lots of us, um, if you're listening and you think I can't do anything, um, what could I possibly do I think many of us have imposter syndrome and we feel like that you know out there there must be these white hats there must be these people who are organizing it all and the realization that it just takes each one of us to do tiny tiny little things um you know um saying something I, I now work often in a cheese shop as well which is an amazing place in in um Nelson and just saying when people pay with cash, thank you for paying with cash and giving little questions and trying to brighten people's day, just planting that seed um, that there is something else out there, that there is hope. What an amazing time to be alive. You know, if we were going to pick a time right before we came down to this big planet, if we were going to pick a time, this would be the time to come. You know, it's not the Roman Empire. It's not the Second World War. Uh, you know, is it the apocalypse? It feels like it. What a time. You know, amazing. It is. And I do feel positive about it, although we are navigating tricky times at the moment and with relationships and friendships and forgiveness, but we will come out stronger. Is there anything else that you want to add or share with our listeners before we wrap things up? I would just say that, that everything that is going to be powerful for us is going to be in or around us. It's free. It's already there. It's standing in the sunshine with our feet in the dirt and grounding it's finding that music with the amazing frequency it is in the hugs with our children and taking the time to stop we have been given the most amazing insight to float above what actually this life is about this life is so big and so amazing and we are we're riding through 
on this crazy roller coaster, not knowing if we're going to get to the other end. So let's make it worth it. Let's enjoy this ride that's so bumpy for what it is. Amazing. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to go and try those techniques. You know, when you were talking about the hug one, you go to the bathroom and, and hug. It's like it's, when you fix your hair, that's your reminder. That's your trigger. Yeah. When you go and fix your hair and adjust your hair in the mirror, you know, that's your reminder. Give yourself a little hug. We can yeah. all do that at home. I, I love those practical techniques. Thank you for your uplifting outlook and your very um, insightful wisdom in terms of what is going on in the classrooms. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sheena. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so much to think about when it comes to the schools. I mean, teacher to child ratios have absolutely shifted over the years. Like back in the day, they were around one to 20, and now they're one to 23 or one to 24 or higher in some schools. So that plus the um, absences of teachers due to possibly, you know, the the wages, With I do think they should be paid more, definitely. Um, so I do feel for the teachers and I also feel for them in terms of their curriculum that they're basically getting handed to teach and not being encouraged to question things. So now I'm going to give you a little sneak peek because this is such a lovely segue into next week's interview where I'm talking to um, Elizabeth Munt and she is a mother of three. She's been a foster mom to nine kids during her lifetime. She's been working with autistic trauma and high needs kids and is currently a counselor for the Selwyn District Council. Now she shares some pretty detailed stuff around the over-sexualization of our children and grooming, as well as things like, did you know that a 12-year-old child can get puberty blockers or have an abortion without parental consent in New Zealand schools? These things are happening. These things are possible. So we want to be aware. We don't wanna be scared. We wanna be aware. We wanna be empowered parents. So here's a little sneak peek from our interview for next week with Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, you mentioned you were going to tell us about money and Kinsey, and then I'd love it if you could also direct our listeners to somewhere else they can go to learn more. Thank you. Yeah. So John John Money um, is actually a New Zealand psychologist. Um, he comes from the John Hopkins University in the States. He is well revered by the school rainbow groups. Uh, the man was known as a pedophile. He coined the term gender ideology and many of the terms used today in the textbooks. He's famous for the work that he did on twin boys, where one boy was fully castrated and raised as a girl. Um, it's quite graphic, the story that goes with these twin boys. Uh, these twin boys were visiting John every week in his clinic. They were videoed and he had them doing sexual experimentation on each other. Um, it's pretty horrendous. Uh, Sadly, as young adults, um, so one of the boys, the castrated boy, he retransitioned back to a male and shared his story publicly on uh, live TV in, in the States. But sadly, both of them took their lives as young adults, um, one with a shotgun to the head and the other one with a drug overdose. Um, and I believe they were the only parents, uh, the only children that those parents had. Um so money, even though money was involved in what was quite graphic and explicit um, activity with these kids and, and no doubt other children, uh, he was never sentenced and given any criminal convictions for, for the work that he'd done. And instead, he's actually revered. Um, and we see that in the, in the New Zealand curriculum that the Rainbow Community Groups actually revere him and uphold him as someone to look up to. Uh, Kinsey... 
uh, is another one. He founded the Institute for Sex Research at Indiana University. He conducted sexual experimentation on children, some as young as babies. Uh, Kinsey um, did all his research, not on ordinary Americans, but on convicted pedophiles in prison. And they also obviously constructed um, experiments on children that they brought into the sex clinic, uh, himself and his colleagues. Uh, very, very graphic. Um, there is a, uh, a section called 38, uh, which is outlines um, some stats that they've collected and it, it's it's pretty gruesome. Uh, yeah, so they, they were just, you know, babies right up to, to adults, um, what Kinsey's work was. And instead of being prosecuted, he is still celebrated by Hollywood and academia today. His work still forms the foundation of sex education in public schools um, that we're still seeing. Uh, so just want to talk about a bunch of groups to look for that are staunchly integrating into our schools. Um, Inside Out, Rainbow Youth, Village Collective, Safe Schools Coalition, Utopia, Family Planning, Gender Minorities, Aotearoa. There are new groups popping up all the time. What I want to emphasize here is that sex education, if you're happy for the school to do sex education, it should be done by the teachers that are present. The, the dangers here are bringing these outside groups in. Um, yeah, so I wanna make one exception for this though, is the Keeping Ourselves Safe, which is run by the New Zealand Police and you can view all their content online. That is a really exceptional program. Um, it's, it's, it is a safe, safe program it, it's not um i would say it's not liberal um and yeah really really impressed with with that program okay so i think one of the main messages there is being aware of the outsourcing that's happening in the school system who's actually coming through the doors and teach and what are they teaching your kids yeah a hundred percent um and, and we can't we expect to know everything about everyone but I think it's important that outside of the New Zealand police that particular group which you know is cyber safety and and just generic keeping yourself safe as a kid um these other groups uh that's not their focus their focus is really pushing uh the gender ideologies mm -hmm. um those groups need to be kept at bay they're not designed to be in schools they're not teacher trained per se um it's it's really a political agenda is what it truly is uh, and, and in terms of if you're wanting to go and find other information to to really understand what I'll be talking about and you know in the, in the future, um, you know have a look at the Family First and the Resist Gender Education. They're really really good resources. There's a, a huge amount of information in there. They cover um, what's going on in New Zealand curriculum really deeply. Um, and Stop World Control. Now that is a Dutch. Um, a Dutch guy who is is basically exposing what's happening in the in the school curriculum over in the kindergarten curriculum over in the Netherlands, and he goes into a lot of detail. It's based on the UN principles, um, and he talks about the global standards, which is currently um, yeah just going everywhere through the world. And it's important to understand the relevance of that to us because we are following the same. Um, 
sustainable development goals and the same UN agenda generically in other areas of our society. And so there's no reason why we wouldn't be the same here. We, we clearly are because what we're implementing is much the same as what the Dutch are implementing. Uh, and also have a look at your libraries. Go and check out there's, there's lists that can be found on what type of books um, that I would actually consider grooming books. You know, there's an ABC for for little children to read a picture book, which is, you know, B for bisexual and G for gay and, you know, some quite extreme, explicit kind of terms for a little kid. And there's a whole lot of books. And I know that teachers have come out and said a lot of the reading material and, and parents as well, a lot of the reading material now for, for the younger age groups is actually based books and authors have really targeted that whole gender ideology and that sexual exploitation. Um, you know, if you want your child to be protected from that, then you're going to have to have a really good delve into into what's coming out of your libraries and your school, the school reading curriculum and, and, and be on top of that. Yeah, that's such a good reminder. And also what they're watching on TikTok and YouTube and all the other places as well. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for your thanks for your thoughts and thank you for those amazing resources, Elizabeth. Thank you. Some pretty intense stuff there from Elizabeth, but definitely good to know, right? So we can cover our ears and put our head in the sand or we can actually be aware of what's going on. And um, she gives a few other good resources and places for people to go and look um, at what else is going on in the, in the interview next week. Now, I happen to just be listening to Reality Check Radio because I'm not only am I a radio host, but I also am just like you guys. I'm one of the, I'm a member of the audience. And I was listening to Rodney Hyde's talk. I literally just turn it on and whoever's on, I listen to it. And I was listening to his talk with Bob McCroskey about bullying and pink shirt today. And that's why I thought it was important to do a little bit of a throwback or a flashback to, um, which is very much in alignment with our today's topic of keeping kids safe. and. If you're just joining us, we've been we've chatted with two guests already. Um, in fact, sorry, three guests already. And this is just a little flashback from a show from another host, Rodney, when he's talking to Bob McCroskey, and really about how Pink Shirt Day was is supposed to be about inclusion and not bullying, but it's kind of been taken over and changed. So I'm going to let the the audio speak for itself. Here it is, a little flashback. If you want to go and listen to the the replay or many other replays, you can do that on realitycheck.radio slash replays. So have a listen and I'm keen to hear what you think. Who's behind Pink Shirt Day? So that who's advocating for it? Who's pushing it? And um, what is it saying when your place of work dresses up in pink for the day and throws in a gold coin? Well, in effect, what you're doing is the rainbow tick. You're uh, being woke and you're virtue signaling and saying that, uh, you're endorsing uh, programs like Inside Out, which is part of Rainbow Youth, which goes into schools and indoctrinates kids with the fact that, um, you know, you were assigned something at birth and the doctor might have got it wrong and you're actually the other, you're the other sex or the other gender and, uh, you know, the two are separate and um, you should identify as one of 112 genders and 200 plus sexualities. I mean, you know, and kids are also being told that the earth is going to hell because of man-made global warming, and and then they're having to have uh, practice uh, hiding under desks because of possible, um, you know, uh, crime going on outside the classroom, lockdowns. No wonder kids are stressed. I'd be stressed if that was happening. I used to get stressed just when my teacher was away and we had a relief teacher. 
now now they're telling kids that you know uh, they're, they're sexualizing them and it's it's adult I mean we called it adult entertainment didn't we uh, Rodney um, they're basically indoctrin not educa- I don't think it's education it's indoctrination of 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 material that is not age appropriate and it's polluting the moral innocence of our kids. Uh, my my inside out turned up at my local school. Um, for listeners, you can Google them. Uh, they're behind Pink Shirt Day, and they are in receipt of funding that is raised on Pink Shirt Day. Mm. They turned up um, without my knowledge and had two hours with my 11-year-old daughter, when I say with her, her class. Yep. And this was a group of um, young teenagers who identify as transgender or non-binary it's a complete alphabet soup Mm. and um to be fair they look disturbed young children and my Mm. heart goes out to them Mm. um but they without my knowledge were talking to my 11 year old and her classmates about how lots and lots of people and they could be in the class there'll be several uh who are boys who should be girls and girls who should be boys and they might choose to live one or the other or that may be who they are and that was all cool and that was okay yeah and that happened in primary school and so these kids are suddenly thinking about well what does it mean to you know what's the sex business what sort of and, and when you i now realize this bob i didn't know this when you subscribe to pink shirt day this is who is promoting it, and this is who you are supporting with your donation, which is quite extraordinary, is it well, not? Yeah. Oh, well, I had a look at Rainbow Youth's uh, most recent financial. Now, what's Rainbow Youth? I don't know about that. So Rainbow Youth is, uh, they sponsor uh, Inside Out. So uh, Rainbow Youth is exactly that. They're, they're pushing the LGBT. They're behind all the programs going into schools. And in fact, they are advising education groups and government on how to indoctrinate kids with this LGBT agenda. And they're funded, uh, their latest um, their latest accounts show that they've got, they had an income in the last financial year of just under 2 million, of which uh what is it seven no more than half a million came from your taxpayer money uh local government gave 230,000 and district health boards for trans support gave 112 so if you can't get your hip operation or you know um things checked or you know there's not nurses well it's okay they're funding trans support services 112,000 to rainbow youth i mean there's no shortage of money um as they as they push this agenda and if you have a Christian school, Bob, um, and you're integrated, let's say, first of all, can you avoid this? Yeah, well, that's a really good point. And um, if you go to our website, if you go on to our uh, – if you look at our parent guide, so it's our recent research report, We've I actually – and I wrote this over Christmas because people get contacting me and saying, how do we push back on this whole issue? And so basically I put together a um, 20-page parent guide, which includes the background and it gives uh, what the law says and has action points. So how to approach your school in a 
respectful but effective manner as as you have done Rodney um, and it also gives you know uh, uh, examples of programs and and feedback I mean this type of stuff is not only in pink shirt day it's even sneaking into stuff like outdoor education uh, outdoor education New Zealand has a program called going with the flow which is all about telling people while they're doing outdoor education on a school trip that men can have periods so this is the type of and indoctrination but I did do a um, just a short section on state integrated schools because you know a lot of parents say they make extra sacrifice to get their children into schools that have the values that they want whether it's Christian or there's some Muslim schools here in Auckland uh, and there's some non-Christian but integrated there's the uh, Maori schools as well and what people need to understand uh, if you send your kids to those schools, is that the uh, Ministry of Education and, in fact, the uh, Education and Training Act, which is the act that governs uh, all schools, actually says that, no, it is the role and it's the right and it's the expectation of those schools to uh, reinforce teaching uh, that reflects that that religious instruction. They have a legal responsibility to ensure religious instruction in keeping with their special character forms part of the programs and the education. So parents need to keep their schools accountable and, and you know, push back if they see some uh, mission drift in terms of their local school, because the schools are under huge pressure from the Ministry of Education. It's been rammed down at all levels. And um, the good example has been Bethlehem College, who pushed back and said, no, our our schools expect us to um, our schools expect us to um, you know have these values, and we're going to hold on to them. So uh, Bethlehem College has been a good example of how schools just need to get some backbone and push back. But for state schools, it's much harder. But state schools still have to reflect through the board and through the parents what parents want, and parents need to know what the law says and what their rights are in terms of uh, when they can remove their kids. And we encourage parents to remove their kids. Don't take the risk. Don't don't uh, hope for the best. You can't do that anymore, not necessarily because of the teacher, not necessarily because of the school, but because of the indoctrination that's coming through from the government and the ministry. I hope you enjoyed that little flashback there. And our intention with all the shows, well, my intention with all the shows, is to just raise awareness, encourage discussion without being ostracized or shamed for asking a question. And we really with the ultimate goal of empowering people and uniting us, bringing us together. That's really part of what I'm all about. Um, I do have a lot of concerns around keeping kids safe, which is why we're going to continue this theme right through to next week on next Friday. So send in any questions or concerns you've got. Um, one of the other concerns I have, and I actually did a little mini interview a couple of episodes back when I talked to a speech language therapist about the impact of masks on children in terms of their development, their languaging, their expression, their confidence, et cetera. And so that is definitely something I'm very concerned about, but I'm keen to hear what you're concerned about when it comes to kids. So you can text us 2057, or you can send in an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. So we're going to wrap things up. Thank you so much for sticking with us and joining us today. Um, some of it has been more lighthearted. Some of it has been a little bit more eye-opening, but um, it's all good. And if you want more of that, I'm going to share a few of my recommended replays with you. 
that are in keeping with some of the themes of today. Uh, last week, um, Marie, maybe it was this week, Marie was talking to Dr. Naomi Wolf with Marie Busk on her show, and they talk about current discourse, free speech, and how we ret- how we retake our freedom and liberty. So you can have a listen to that replay. Go and, um, you just go to realitycheck.radio slash replays, and you can see those there. The other one that I was thinking I was going to recommend to you, I've got two more. One is uh, Rodney talking to Linda Horton. And Linda is amazing. She's done some incredible work over the past three years supporting so many people and specifically people that have had jab injuries. So negative impacts on their health following the, the COVID vaccine. And But today in this episode, uh, the one that I'm mentioning, she's talking about celebrating Ali Cook's petition win and what that means for the injured. So she's really on an amazing crusade to help people that have had negative impacts on their health. By the way, if your kids have had negative impacts on their health, another one of my concerns, also fertility is another one of my concerns. We'll talk more about those things next week. But if you've noticed your child getting sick more than before um, after getting the jab jab, then definitely let us know your concerns and thoughts. We can point you in the right direction for maybe some some resources and possibly um, some protocols that can help you support your teen back to full health. Uh, the other one I wanted to recommend to you was Helen Houghton as a guest on Marie's show. They talk about the ideological agendas in our schools and parental consent. So if you're concerned about that, that's another great replay. Hey, no shortage of information for you, uh, but don't want to overwhelm. What we want to do is leave you today feeling inspired, and empowered and and ready to just go and find out a little bit more about what is going on for your child, whether that be, like Ellie said, just sitting and listening and just listening and absorbing and not trying to dish out the advice. Or maybe what it is, is actually going to the teacher or going to the school board and finding out what they are actually being taught. Looking forward to seeing you next week where we continue on this theme. In the meantime, you can also, by the way, follow me if you're on Instagram you can look me up, Up Your Brave on Instagram. I also have Up Your Brave Wellness, uh, which is my wellness and my essential oils information. And then also on my website, which is upyourbrave.com, um, you can find out all sorts of things about upcoming events, clubs, and coaching, etc. cetera. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the Up Your Brave show. Have an amazing week, and we will see you next time for more info and inspo on keeping kids safe. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR, Reality Check Radio.